Welcome back to another episode of Hagen Squared on 90.7 The Pulse, Grantham FM Radio. This is Jory Hagen, your host, back and alongside partner and cousin Chris uh, on this fine Thursday evening. Uh, a lot to talk about, and as I just told Chris before we went on air, this could be a little bit of a uh, taking out of the taking out our frustration episode uh, from both the perspectives of myself and Chris. Uh, but Chris, welcome back to another show, and good to have you. Yeah, as always, it's great to be back, and I'm excited for another show tonight. And so we got a lot to talk about uh, in Hagen Square this week. We will kick things off the way we always do in this week in sports, and then we will run through an an eventful week uh, in the NFL with the trade deadline, as we started to talk about last week before uh, we were cut off by the Messiah soccer game, which, by the way, if you're uh, listening to this as a Messiah College student on campus right now, uh, Messiah men's soccer is just on an absolute tear Uh, coming off a national championship win last year, and they are looking to do the same this year um, as they have won yet another playoff game, and they will play again uh, in a game that I believe will be featured right here on 90.7 The Pulse, Grantham FM Radio uh, on Saturday afternoon or night. I'm not sure which, uh, but should be an entertaining game, so make sure to tune into that one. Uh, But let's kick it off with this week in sports. The Eagles uh, and Darren Sproles suffer another setback as Sproles was expected to return this week Uh, and is now expected to be sidelined with a hamstring injury, uh, an injury that he's been going through for a while now, but was just re-aggravated this week. So frustrating uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, and they could really use some help at the running back position as well. After Jay Ajayi went down this year, they really struggled to get that ground game going. So having Sproles back would really help them out. Yep. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the case. Antonio Brown of the Pittsburgh Steelers was pulled over this week doing – or going 100 miles an hour in his car in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so um, some more off-the-field issues to discuss. Uh, And so far as the Pittsburgh Steelers are concerned, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show as well in the Steelers' offense. we got a lot to talk about uh, insofar as the Pittsburgh Steelers right now with this Le'Veon Bell situation appearing to finally come to a close. Le'Veon Bell was seen in Pittsburgh this week after tweeting farewell Miami uh, this past week, and he is believed to make his return. He has to make it, actually, um, by Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Um, So if he does not return by that time, he will not be able to play for the remainder of the season and therefore will lose the entirety of his $14 million franchise tender. Um, So we will see what goes down in Pittsburgh and like I've been saying all week, Chris, just talking to my buddies about it, uh, my one friend that's a Steelers fan, is every time that we've expected a Le'Veon Bell return, he's let us down so far. So do not expect a return from Le'Veon Bell, although I think it seems probable uh, that he returns this week. Just because of this new deadline doesn't really uh, ultimately mean that Le'Veon Bell is going to be back uh, 100% sure. So we'll keep an eye on that Le'Veon Bell situation and the situation in general in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and it feels like every week we're talking about something with the Steelers, yeah. <laughs> and Le'Veon Bell is always always a centerpiece yeah. in, uh, in those conversations. Yeah. And you're right, he's let us down a bunch of times. I think it's at least three times, I know, yeah. because yep. I've had him on a fantasy team, so I've been following it a lot. Um, it's been really discouraging if you're a Steelers fan or you have him on your fantasy team, like I do, unfortunately. Uh, but in other news, Des Bryant finally signs. He signed with the New Orleans Saints for just a one-year deal, uh, which I don't think you can even call a one-year deal since it's already halfway through the year. <laughs> yeah, 
but he's got a chance to prove himself and he'll be playing the Cowboys in a few weeks from now. So we'll keep an eye on that game. Yeah, and we'll keep an eye on the Cowboys a lot throughout this show. Not positive things for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, but a positive here for Des Bryant is we know that he was, he's was he been itching for this return for a, a long time coming now, and he's been putting in the offseason work. So I think he's going to be integrated into this offense very quickly, um, much more quickly than a guy like Le'Veon Bell will, who really hasn't been putting in the offseason time and effort. So it's going to be an interesting situation um, in New Orleans. But really, I mean, there's no potential. There's there's no downside potential uh, in this signing for the New Orleans Saints. They know they have a chance to win the Super Bowl this year if they're not the Super Bowl favorites um, after beating the undefeated Rams this week, handing them their first loss. This is a great move by the New Orleans Saints because, I mean, what do you have to lose? You sign a guy for one year. If he doesn't give you the production you want, he's gone. But I really do think that Des Bryant is going to do well, especially on a team that is so – uh, competitive and productive, especially on the offensive side of the football. Uh, but let's shift gears to basketball. Uh, Murray and Kyrie had a little social media fiasco regarding Murray's choice to go for 50 points at the buzzer, uh, something that Murray said, uh, and I quote, that he does in 2K all the time. So he, he didn't see a problem um, with doing it in real life. But Kyrie had a little bit of a problem with that as the Nuggets were um, about 15 points ahead of the Celtics, I believe, who have been struggling a little bit. Um, so some frustration there from Kyrie Irving and company. Um, we'll talk basketball later in the show as well. Yeah, and we should get uh, to this little fiasco regarding Jamal Murray and Kyrie Irving. Uh, but Jamal Murray did not really see the problem with him chucking up <laughs> that, that shot at the end. Yeah, um, I guess. I don't know why he didn't understand why they were upset. It's but... just something you don't do. No, yeah, and it's just it's just not good sportsmanship. Yeah. Uh, but we should get to that later, if as long as we don't take up the whole two hours on football, uh, which isn't out of the question. Yeah. <laughs> which but, is totally possible. But, yeah. <laughs> but but staying in uh, the the realm of the NBA, uh, we saw Derrick Rose score thirty one last night against the Lakers. He hit a seven or a career high seven three pointers. Yep, and that's coming just a week after he dropped fifty. So I've got to ask the question, is D-Rose back? Yeah, I don't know. And, and we're going to have to see the production that this guy continues to produce uh, for this Timberwolves team, especially on the, in the absence of a guy like Jimmy Butler, who uh, we don't really know where he stands as far as that organization, his standing with the ownership um, um, and, Joe T- and Thibodeau. Um, it's going to be an interesting team to keep your eye on because we don't know if he's going to be traded. Thibodeau obviously didn't want to trade him as he expected or expressed, I should say, earlier um, in the season, actually before the season even began. Uh, Jimmy Butler's been sitting out some games. So it's giving Derrick Rose a chance for more minutes, and he's making the most of them. So we will continue to talk about Derrick Rose as everybody uh, in the sports world has been. But first, let's get to the NFL news and storylines, which, as Chris said, uh, there's a lot of them. So don't be surprised if we run all the way until 7, talking NFL and football. And by the way, I just wanted to throw this out there. Um, Chris and any of our listeners that we have right now. We've been doing this show uh, now for about a year, as I figure, as we started this show late in the fall of last year, and it's been really fun. It's been a good run, Chris, and I was actually talking. I just wanted to mention this on the show. Um, If you don't know who Dan Orlovsky is, um, the quarterback that ran famously ran out of the back, or infamously, I should say, ran out of the back of the end zone um, for the Detroit Lions. He was a backup quarterback in the league for about 11 to 13 years uh, but a great guy that I actually got hooked up with through social media. Um, I had him listen to a few clips of our show, gave us some feedback. So I just wanted to throw out the opportunity. If anyone else wants to 
uh, throw some feedback out towards us, just check out our Instagram. Uh, the handle is at under or at Hagen underscore squared. Go check that out. Send us some feedback. Also, follow us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, you can find us at Hagen Squared uh, in Apple Podcasts as well. So, just a, a great gesture in Orlovsky to find time in his busy schedule working uh, on ESPN as a football analyst now. Um, so. Great advice from that guy that we received earlier this week, and we hope to receive yours as well. But let's jump into the NFL news and storylines and kick it right off with the frustration side of things. Um, And I'm guessing that I'll do a lot of the uh, frustrated talk here on the Dallas Cowboys. And Chris, um, you're going to be talking about this with a smile on your face. I wish you guys could see our different expressions because they're probably going to be polar opposites. Um, But Dallas is just in a deep, dark hole right now, and we saw – what happened with Michael Irving uh, and Stephen A. Smith on first take, that heated uh, debate. Um, Stephen A. obviously is not a huge Cowboys fan, and a lot of people aren't huge Cowboys fans right now, Uh, and that is including me, who is actually a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, And I'll ask this to you, Chris, so we can get more of a, I guess your opinion would still be biased, but a less frustrated bias. What is the main issue in Dallas right now? Well, I think it's it's the offense in general. I mean – I don't think Dak Prescott um, is is a good quarterback, and I know you might disagree with that, uh, but I think he's he's mediocre at best, and they just don't have that many weapons on the offensive side of the ball, aside from Ezekiel Elliott, who's uh, seen a little bit of a dip in production this year, uh, which is pretty surprising considering that he's the focal point of the offense. Uh, but they just haven't had a lot of help for Dak, even with Amari Cooper. Um after they acquired him from the trade, they still didn't look great against the Titans the other night. So the defense has been, uh, I'd say, a pleasant, well, not pleasant for me, but if you're a Cowboys fan, a pleasant surprise. Um, it's really this offense that's just struggled to get going, and that's why they're losing games. Yeah, and surprisingly, uh, it was the defense. I mean, the offense didn't play well um by any stretch or means or purposes in this game against the Titans, but the defense didn't show up either. And I mean, if you look at the Tennessee Titans third down production in this game, it is just unreal. And you look at the box score and you don't see these kind of stats, but the Tennessee Titans were something like seven for nine uh, on third and six or longer. So uh, the Cowboys defense did a great job on first and second down, putting the Tennessee Titans in these long uh, and, and really poor down and distant distant situations. But Marcus Mariota and really the run game uh, w- was just unstoppable for the Tennessee Titans on third and long. And there's no excuse for this um, if you're the defensive coordinator um, of the Dallas Cowboys and Marinelli. And my question is, before Sean Lee even experienced that hamstring injury, as we know that Sean Lee – uh, was was walking off the field, limping off the field, I should say, late in that third quarter um, with a hamstring injury, something he's been suffering with for a while. He, I mean, that guy, on, on some of these drives, the Tennessee Titans, like 13, 14, 15 play drives, long drives down the field. Warm, and uh, we, we just nice didn't really to- see um, Sean Lee on the field for these long drives. And um, I know that sometimes you're going to take a guy out, take your leader out on the defensive side for a drive or two, give him a break. Um, but to see this guy not be on the field for a 13-14 play drive for the entirety of that drive, uh, it, it says something to how these Tennessee Titans uh, offensive players were able to wear out the Cowboys defense. So I think really some fatigue issues um, on the defensive side for the Cowboys. On the offensive side, just not much to say. Um, when Ezekiel Elliott does not run for over 100 yards, the Cowboys' record is just 
really pitiful. And, you know, Dak Prescott didn't play a terrible game, um, but the two turnovers really hurt the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, they certainly did. And uh, another thing that I'll point out with the Cowboys is that the offensive line has really not been uh, what it usually is in the yeah, past few it's years. it's a great point. Uh, that offensive line has been, in my opinion, the best. I believe we have lost Chris as we'll um, give him a call back in a sec. But uh, I think what Chris is trying to say is, I mean, this Dallas Cowboys line, as we got Chris back with us, so I'll hand that back to you, Chris. I'm um, just talking about that Dallas Cowboys offensive line. And, and that's something that I noticed as well. Um, I mean, this was a line that the Cowboys built over time. And I thought that, I mean, Jerry Jones and, and he doesn't do a great job of that many things um, as a GM of a, an organization and of America's team, as they call the Dallas Cowboys, a name that they're not living up to, by the way. But, I mean, they built this offensive line, and it's like year after year in the draft, they're drafting these offensive linemen. They built this line up, and, and now it's just not producing. And whether that has to do with injuries um, or, or just locker room morale, whatever it is, like you said, Chris, they're just not producing right now. Yeah, no, they're not at all. And uh, I mentioned earlier how Ezekiel Elliott's uh, production has not been the same as it was in his first two seasons in the NFL. Um, and I I guess that that's partly due to the offensive line not living up uh, to their expectations. He's really had a um, – he walked into a great situation in Dallas when he was drafted running behind that offensive line. Uh, but now that – now that they're not playing up to their talent and they don't have much of a passing game going, I think that that's why teams are able to zero in on Elliott and he's not producing the same type of rushing numbers. Yeah, completely agree. And you put the nail on the, or you put the uh, hammer on the nail there when you said that teams are really able to focus in on Ezekiel Elliott. And I really think, I think that's a hundred percent accurate is when Dak Prescott does not have down the field weapons uh, like Des Bryant, like uh, Jason Witten, like Terrence Williams, who's out with some personal issues, and I'm guessing will get cut in the next few weeks. They just have nobody, and like Cole Beasley is a decent number three wide receiver, and I mean honestly, a low quality number two wide receiver. Uh, and when he's one of your best wide receivers on the year and the best wide receiver on the year, uh, that's a problem. And and that's not bashing on a guy in Cole Beasley who is, is a good player to have on your team. But he reminds me of a Patriots-esque wide receiver that's like a two or a three wide receiver. He makes a few big plays in a game. Uh, and, I mean, w when, you, when you're a number three wide receiver and you're Cole Beasley, you look a lot better than you actually are because you have a, a cornerback on you that is – like one of the subpar corners and one of the subpar secondary players on the team because your one and two corners have to be focusing on other people uh, like Terrence Williams, like uh, Des Bryant, like Jason Witten. But now when Cole Beasley is your number one wide receiver and you got him up against the number one defensive back, that's it's just an issue. And he just does not look good against the top secondary players in the league. But something else I'd like to talk about um, as far as this offense goes um, in Dallas is their offensive play call. I, I just it, I, it was driving me insane to watch the offensive play call, and it's it's something that when it works, it's a great thing, and it looks awesome, and you applaud it, and you put your hands together for Linehan uh, for calling these plays. But when it's not working, it's just horrible to watch, and and this is what bothered me. The, I mean, Linehan almost every drive of every game. If you watch the Cowboys, it, it's so predictable. They run the ball on first down. 
and then they got like a, a second and five situation. Then they run the ball on second down. And then you get to third and short, and they run the ball again on third down. So what you're doing is, number one, I mean, you're putting yourself in a third down situation, and that's a never never a good thing to do. You, you don't really see the Dallas Cowboys getting first downs um, on, second, on second and five, second and six, second and seven, because they're running the football. Uh, and, and it's not a bad play to run the football on second down uh, occasionally, but when you're running the football on second and six, second and medium consistently throughout a game, you're going to put yourself in a lot of situations, uh, third and short, uh, third and short down and distance situations. And while those are okay situations to be in, if you're in that situation uh, four or five times a game, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. But when you're in a third and short situation where you have to get a yard or your offense is off the field almost every drive of the game, it's just a terrible situation to put your offense in. And I really think that they need to be more aggressive uh, throwing the ball on second down and throwing the ball on first down. Um, and like I said, I don't have that much of a problem with the running on second and five, second and short. But on first down, it is like the most predictable thing in all of sports that the Dallas Cowboys will almost 100% of the time run the football on first down. So I just think this offense is being so passive in, in its play call. Uh, and, and they just they don't have the weapons to be passive, like because everyone knows that you're running the football, and when you have no wide receivers, no deep threat, it, it, like when you can't run the ball when everyone's expecting it. It just makes no sense to me uh, that Linehan continues to make these play calls. Yeah, and I I, uh, I can understand your frustration as a fan watching um, your own team and being discouraged with the play calls because I kind of feel the same way with my Redskins watching Jay Gruden call the plays. Uh, but I think the reason, the reason that they continue uh, to, to keep running the ball on first and second down is because that's what's worked in the past for them uh, with Zeke. We already talked a lot about Zeke and that, and that O line. Um, but now that it's not working, it, it doesn't look, it doesn't look very good for this team. And I'll point out that they were this year, in the NFL, they are 28th in third down conversions at just 33%, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a pretty scary stat. Yeah, and and, and the scary thing about it is the uh, the offensive play call seems designed to put yourself purpose. It almost seems like they're purposely putting themselves in those short, third and short situations. And in past years, when you have an offensive line like the Cowboys have been known to have for the past couple of years, and when you have a guy like Zeke Elliott, who's one of the best short yardage backs in the league, um, it, it doesn't look so bad to put yourself in those situations. But now, come 2018, the offensive line is not blocking the way that they were two, three years ago, um, and that's not allowing Zeke to run the way he was two, three years ago. It, it just It's not good to put yourself almost purposely in a situation that you are so poor at, like you said, 26, I believe you said, in the league on third down. Yeah, and, and uh, when Dak Prescott's your quarterback, um, your chances of converting on third down uh, are are not as high as if you had somebody else. And I'm not trying to, to diss Jack Prescott too much, but I do think that he's a possibly below average quarterback in this league and his inability to make plays, uh, especially on third down, is something that's holding them back. Yeah, it really is. And I, I'm not. I, I think I'm a little bit more high on Dak Prescott that you are, or than you are, and that a lot of than a lot of people are. And I don't know if that's my optimism as a fan. I don't know if that's unreasonable. I, I really don't think that Dak Prescott is a guy that's going to win the Dallas Cowboys a Super Bowl. I really don't. I don't believe that. Uh, and I like to say that I'm not one of those typical 
quote-unquote delusional Cowboys fans. Maybe I am. Uh, Chris, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I think Dak Prescott is an above-average quarterback in this league, and he has the ability to be an above-average quarterback, but he's a kind. He's the kind of guy that needs pieces around him. He's not a guy like Aaron Rodgers who can make really a, a kind of below-average Packers team look really good because of, of his ability to throw the football down the field, uh, put it into tight coverages. Dak does not have that kind of ability. He's the kind of guy, like a Mark, he's, he is almost like a Marcus Mariota, uh, in the quarterback that the Cowboys just played against. Um, but Mariota completely outplayed Dak in this situation. And I think that Dak just, he, he's a quarterback that could be an above average guy if he had more pieces around him. And I, th- I think that's what we saw a few years ago uh, when the Cowboys made that playoff run with Dak Prescott. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point that he does need those weapons around him. And he had in his first year, he had Zeke and he had Des Bryant and uh, that resulted in one of the better offenses in the NFL. But I think that now he's gotten – or defenses have had the time to adjust yeah, to his style of play. Yeah. And he's lost weapons. I think both of those things um, are making him look like worse – or a worse quarterback uh, when, in fact, I think it was just the situation that he benefited from in his rookie year made him look better than he was. Yeah, and, and I'll use that to transition to – Troy Aikman's statement uh, in where he said on Dallas Cowboys radio out in Texas that he thinks a complete makeover of of this organization, top to bottom, not necessarily player-wise, but front office-wise. Guys like Jerry Jones, Jason Garrett, they all have to be cleaned out of there. And really, the the only guy that I want to stay in this organization right now as a coach uh, and as a general manager um, is Marinelli and that defensive coordinator because I think he's really done a good job turning a below average, really actually poor defense into one of the better defenses in the league this year. I think he's done a really good job with that defense. I have no problem with Marinelli, um, and I, I think he's done a great job. They've acquired some pieces like Van Der Esch that can replace a guy like Sean Lee when he gets hurt, which I think was a very smart move by the Dallas Cowboys, one of the better moves in the draft uh, to take him fairly early, but I just think that everyone else, quite frankly, has no place in this organization anymore. And I know Jerry Jones is going to be there until he drops dead uh, in the press box. Um, But I just I hate the moves that he makes. And I'd like to hear what you say about this, Chris. But Jerry Jones is just a guy that if if he likes you, if Jerry Jones likes you, you're safe no matter what. It's like it's like you get a get out of jail free card when Jerry likes you. And like no, no matter what you do, I mean, Dak could play a horrible game and Jerry Jones would go to the media and say, he's our quarterback. We're re-signing him. And that's exactly what he did um, after this Cowboys disappointment, really, uh, at home against really a below average team in Tennessee. So I, I just think that Jerry Jones is the number one problem with this organization is Jerry Jones because the guy is delusional. He, he will refuse to get rid of pieces that need to go. And I think that uh, Jason Garrett is really the epitome of that because uh, he's a guy that has won what one playoff game in his nine-year tenure with the Cowboys I, I just think that nothing positive is coming out of, of Jason Garrett as much as I don't mind him as a head coach I don't think he's terrible um, but nothing good is coming out of the situation I think most of that has to do with Jerry Jones yeah and uh, you talked about uh, if Jerry Jones likes you then you're safe and that's really evident in Jason Garrett being the head coach. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's made the playoffs twice as a head coach and won one of those games. He's only had three winning seasons. They've just been the epitome of a mediocre football team. Yeah, exactly. Uh, during his tenure. And <clears throat> I don't think that any owner 
wants their football team to be mediocre. They want to win Super Bowls. No, and that and that's the funniest part is I I actually think that Jerry Jones believes that what he's doing will will win his team a Super Bowl. Like I think he's that delusional that he like doesn't think that they're mediocre and he thinks that every year they have a chance at, at a Super Bowl and like I actually think that he believes the things that he's doing will work which is the worst part of the situation. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense because Jerry Jones uh back in the day really built a dynasty yeah, with the exactly. exactly. Uh, in the 90s they were they were a great football team so he knows what it's like to have a team uh, that's winning divisions and winning Super Bowls. And he's got to know that this is clearly not the formula for winning um, all these years and just one playoff win from his head coach. You'd think that he would make a change there. Um, but I guess with Jerry Jones, we never really know what's going on yeah. in that head of his. Yeah, I really mean, don't. Year, he, he seems to su- surprise us more and more. Yeah. And we see, like, the, the you, you mentioned how. Um, Jason Garrett winning one playoff game in nine years is really the epitome of Jerry Jones keeping a mediocre guy around. Um, you can look at it from the the other hand as well, the the opposite uh, viewpoint, and where a guy like Des Bryant, who's produced pretty good numbers for you all these years, um, he just kind of rubs Jerry the wrong way one year, and then all of a sudden he's just gone, like not traded for anything, just gone. They, like Jerry Jones doesn't like you, and you're gone. He doesn't need anything for you. Uh, he doesn't want any value for you. He just makes those rash, like, s- split-second decisions. Like, he wakes up, uh, and, and, like, his his wife pours him the wrong kind of cereal, and it, he's just in a pissed-off mood, and you say one thing to him, and you're just gone. It, it's just – it's so frustrating. Yeah, um, do you remember – I think it was last year, the whole Lucky Whitehead dilemma. Yeah. When uh, a cowboy – he was just a, a low-end receiver and a kicker-turner for them, and he got – falsely arrested for a robbery or some sort and jerry jones cut him and a day later yeah uh the police came out and apologized for accusing him but too bad for lucky whitehead because he was a free agent at that yeah. point yep all right let's let's shift gears from the dallas cowboys i'm sure all of these uh pennsylvania natives listening are sick of this dallas cowboys talking quite frankly so am i um, but let's shift gears to a, uh, actually a Pennsylvania team in Pittsburgh. There's a, a lot going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers organization right now, almost more than what's going on uh, in Dallas right now. Those are probably the two most interesting and most talked about teams in the NFL so far this year. Um, really, the Dallas controversy just started with this uh, embarrassing and disappointing loss to the Titans that sparked all these conversations. Um, but now, I mean, the situation... Uh, and the eyes kind of shift to Pittsburgh, where Le'Veon Bell is back in Pittsburgh um, after that tweet that said, farewell Miami. And the funniest part about that tweet is that he spelled farewell uh, incorrectly. Um, <laughs> but uh, he is finally back in Pittsburgh. Uh, and I don't want to say to the delight of Pittsburgh fans, because I really don't know how much they want him back in Pittsburgh as a fan. Yeah, I don't know if I would want him back as a fan. I mean, James Conner has been fantastic yeah. so far this year. and. They're really not having a bad year. They were off to a bit of a rocky start, but um, since then, they've since the loss to the Ravens on Sunday night football, I think in week four or five, they've really picked things up yeah, and yep. gotten back on the right track. And, I mean, I know that numbers aren't everything, but if you compare James Conner's stats to Le'Veon Bell's stats from last year at least, Conner's been the more productive yep. back. Yeah, he has. So he really has. Yeah, and thinking about when if Le'Veon Bell does end up coming back this season – I'll be really interested to see how they use him considering Connor's been so good for them. Um, so I can't imagine them 
just benching James Conner after uh, all this production that he's had through eight or nine games. But I also can't imagine them benching Le'Veon Bell, who's been maybe their best offensive player over the last few years. Yeah, and I actually uh, wrote an article about this for the Messiah Pulse website. So if you want to go check that out, um, just search Messiah the Pulse and go in the sports section. You'll find my article there on Le'Veon Bell's return. And one of the things that I mentioned as a possible solution for the Pittsburgh Steelers is uh, in a way that they could implement this offense by using James Conner and Le'Veon Bell. And I, I think that really what this would remind me of, if the, if the Pittsburgh Steelers played this situation out perfectly, in my opinion, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Chris, but if they play this situation out perfectly, in my opinion and in my eyes, the best way to do this is create kind of an offense, like kind of a copycat offense of the New Orleans Saints, where they have a guy uh, in Mark Ingram that comes out of the backfield. He's much better out of the backfield. Uh, he's not like the dual threat guy that Kamara is who can take he, yeah, he can take carries out of the backfield almost just as well as Mark Ingram can, but he can split out wide at wide receiver as well. Um, so, I, I mean... To me, the perfect solution to this in Pittsburgh and, and the way just to harmonize uh, James Conner and Le'Veon Bell would be to have James Conner be kind of that Mark Ingram guy who's in the backfield for most of the snaps and then have that Le'Veon Bell guy um, who would kind of play the Camara, if you will, and split out wide. I really think that that would be like the Swiss Army Knife style offense of the New Orleans Saints, and we've seen how successful uh, that style of offense has been for the New Orleans Saints. Only one loss on the season uh, and maybe the best team in the NFL after that big win over the Rams. Um, I, I really do think that that kind of offense would benefit the Pittsburgh Steelers greatly. And to me, that's the ideal solution in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, um, I think that's a pretty a pretty good solution uh, to the problem they have on their hands. And it's a good problem to have on your hands. Yeah, it, You've yeah, got two great players at one position. Um, like it's a dilemma, but it's not a dilemma that they mind having. They've yeah. got to find a way yep. to work these guys into the game. And I think that if they can do it, their offense gets a whole lot better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you have James Conner in there for five or six plays, he just gets a little bit tired and boom, in comes Le'Veon Bell, who's the top, I'd say top three running back in this league. Yep. Yeah. Completely agree with you. So um, Chris, I have to ask you this question, and I, and I hate to ask this question after so many weeks of of just wondering if Le'Veon Bell will return. Um, we've had all these deadlines. We had the trade deadline. Um, we had a deadline for the Cleveland Browns game. That was in, in, I guess that was two weeks ago that they played the Cleveland Browns. He was expected to return by week eight because that's what he had told uh, his team in the media. He didn't show up, didn't contact the team. Now this deadline comes up, and we've seen him pass two deadlines without returning. Do you think that he, or do you think that there's any chance he passes up that 14 million, Chris, and does not return for the remainder of this year? Oh, I think there's definitely a chance that he doesn't that he doesn't return. Um, and I don't. I think he will return, but there's definitely a doubt in my mind. Yeah, and that's where I stand as well. I I thought he was crazy to forfeit. Um, just under a million dollars once. Yeah, he did it a few times. Yep, he's lost almost ten million dollars yeah, now. It's crazy. Um, just because he doesn't want to play the game that he loves. And the and the crazy thing about this, Chris, is the reason that he's doing this. The reason that this whole situation started is because he wants to make more money. And then he goes out and passes up almost nine hundred thousand dollars a game that he missed, and he's missed nine games or eight games so far this year. So it just kind of seems like he's contradicting himself. 
And really what it what it's gotten to is I don't think it's about the money anymore. I think it's just about uh, kind of getting back at Pittsburgh and stabbing him in the back and saying, you know what, I, I asked for this contract, you didn't give it to me, uh, and now I'm just going to do whatever I can do to make it hard uh, on the Steelers organization. And I really don't think that him leaving made it too hard on the Steelers. I mean, they've done well. They're sitting in first place in their division, uh, and I, I just quite frankly feel like that whatever he was trying to accomplish, I, I, th- I believe at first he wanted the money, but now it's just kind of become this – thing where it's Le'Veon against the Steelers uh, and he kind of just wants to do everything he can to make it difficult uh, on the Steelers organization yeah it, and it's like he's playing a game with it or a game of chicken yeah. against himself yeah, exactly the Steelers, the Steelers yeah. don't care no they don't the Steelers have made that clear the players and the front office have made it clear that they don't care if yeah. he comes and, back and you know what you know what they actually they actually like it, it's less than don't care like they literally don't even know if they want him to come back so right. it's like they don't care so much, like they don't care to such an extent that they actually don't really know, like if they actually want him to come back. It's right. it's not even just to the point of they don't care. Yeah, that's true. And Le'Veon Bell has really lost all of his leverage because of that. Yeah, yeah, he has. Uh, it seemed like at the beginning of the year that the Steelers were going to really struggle without him, but now that they haven't, it's Bell that looks like the idiot. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll touch on something that I wrote in my article which is, and, and this is what I started the article off with, is I think that in Bell's mind, he is 100% just accomplished his goal. He's he, like, in his head, he's done exactly what he wanted to. He had the Steelers' hands tied. They couldn't trade him till he came back. Uh, they couldn't trade him unless he came back before the trade deadline. He's kind of sitting on a beach in Miami laughing. You know, they think I'm coming back. They want to trade me. Well, I'm not going to let him do that. So in his mind... He thinks that he's won the situation. I, I truly believe that he, in his mind, he thinks that like he has screwed the Pittsburgh Steelers. These guys are idiots. Uh, they need me back there. But I think in the Pittsburgh Steelers' head and almost everyone else's head, um, it's like, yeah, in your mind you think you've won. But, I mean, we're sitting on top of the division. Uh, just beat the division rivals, the, the Ravens, in a huge game in Baltimore, one that I was at actually this past week. Um, but I just don't know how much he succeeded. Like I said, I think he's accomplished his goals in his mind, but quite frankly, from from an objective viewer, I really don't think that he's accomplished all that much. No, I agree completely. In his mind, he's accomplished it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Literally, literally everybody else hasn't done anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I have never talked to any or haven't have yet to come across a person that has been on Le'Veon yep. Bell's side in this situation, um, everybody that I've talked to um, believes that he's really accomplished nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's he's an idiot for forfeiting all of this money and thinking he has all this leverage when really he has nothing. Yeah, exactly. And and I'll, I'll say this to end it. Um, Mike Greenberg on Get Up on ESPN said it this way. He said, one day there will be a book written about how not to handle free agency, and it will be about <laughs> Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, it's not a bad title, um, considering he's like he's the poster child for how, how to completely botch yeah. your holdout. Yep, yep. and – and as a running back in the NFL, we know that, I mean, their their lifespan is not long in the league. I mean, most running backs average like five to seven years in the NFL, um, maybe a little bit on the upper hand or on the upper side of five to six game or five to six years. 
Um, but, I mean, t- to sit out almost an entire year in your prime uh, when, when your team has a chance to win a Super Bowl, it, it just makes no sense to me or, quite frankly, anybody else. Yeah, and isn't the ultimate goal um, of playing in the NFL to win a Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> not, for that's, that's not for Le'Veon. Not for Le'Veon. Clearly not for Le'Veon. He's not a guy. He's giving off this impression that he's a very selfish character. He's not a guy who cares about winning at all. He just wants that money. Uh, which is not a good look at all for teams and players of teams that are looking to sign him in free agency next year. And you know what, Chris? I I just thought of the most intriguing question of the day, and I'll have you answer this. Who do you respect more? Do you respect Le'Veon Bell more for sitting out and wanting his money for himself uh, and not caring about championships? Or do you respect Kevin Durant more for passing up money uh, and going the easy road of winning championships? I, I'd have to think about that. Probably, I'd, it's a, I'd have to say Kevin it's Durant, a tough one. honestly. And I really I really do not like Kevin Durant. Uh, but still, I mean, I'd rather see a guy take less money to go win a championship, for sure, now that I think about it, than to see a guy decline yeah. all money um, because he wants, he wants more money for himself in the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of myself for thinking of that question. And uh, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to my room tonight and brain burner. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my room tonight and ask my buddy who's a big Steelers fan and hates Le- or, and hates uh, Kevin Durant. I, I mean, really, it's, you're hard pressed to find a guy that doesn't hate either a Kevin Durant or Le'Veon Bell right now. But uh, it's, it's an interesting question to think about. So I mean, you just got to think about what you respect more in a player. And, I mean, quite frankly, I I am a Warriors fan, and I really didn't respect Kevin Durant for what he did, even though uh, I was pleased that he came to Golden State because he just made winning so much easier. Um, but it's it's hard to respect a guy that does that. But to me, it's even harder to respect a guy that throws really the ultimate goal of all of sports. And it really is all of sports. The ultimate goal is to win. And when you don't care about that, I, I just really don't have any value or respect for you whatsoever. Um, so we will shift gears to NFL Week 9 scores after the big two storylines of the NFL in Week 8. We will be back on Hagen Squared uh, in just a moment.
Hey everybody, this is folk singer Michael Jonathan. You know, Roots music, it's passionate, it's brilliant, it's worldwide. From our front porch in Kentucky to yours across Mechanicsburg and Grantham in Pennsylvania. So enjoy a musical adventure with us every Saturday at 12 noon right here on Pulse FM, WVMM 90.7. It's the weekly broadcast of the Wood Songs, Old Time Radio Hour. everyone, how's it going? This is Maya Asusena from New York City, and you're listening to WVMM 90.7 over here at Messiah College. Welcome back to Hagen Squared on 90.7, The Pulse, Grantham FM Radio. Uh, if you just missed the first 40 minutes of the show, it was a good one, if we do say so ourselves, talking about Le'Veon Bell uh, and the Dallas Cowboys dysfunctional organization uh, so far coming into Week 10. Uh, we'll talk Week 9 in just a moment, and then we will roll forward with Week 10 uh, looking ahead, and then we'll talk NBA if we have time left remaining in the show but if you missed the first 40 minutes you can find it on apple podcasts just search hagen squared you can find the link to that as well in our instagram bio but let's roll forward chris with the nfl week nine scores and recaps it was a good one in week nine yeah it was a uh, it was a good week nine and uh the first game we'll talk about is the vikings and the Lions, which really was not a, all that good of a game um in which the vikings really dominated the lions in detroit yeah, I mean, the the Vikings just, like you said, absolute domination over this Detroit Lions uh, and a lot of offensive woes in Detroit. And you have to wonder, uh, as we talked about last week, if giving up Golden Tate is a huge part in that because he was one of the biggest threats uh, on the offensive side of the football for the Detroit Lions. And I know we talked a lot last week about how confused we were with this move. Um, are they in a rebuilding stage? Are they in a make-the-playoff stage? It seems after this uh, big divisional loss, uh, to put Detroit in the deep hole at the bottom of that division, it seems now uh, that they are in the rebuild stage. Yeah, that's what it. Um, that's what it looks like to me. After that game, at least uh, they just didn't put up much of a fight against uh, the the powerful Vikings. And in their defense, the Vikings do have one of the better defenses in the NFL, but still to only score nine points uh, in a game that means a lot to them being that it's a divisional matchup and they weren't very far behind in the standings. Um, it's just really sad to see them put up such a dud on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and you talk about that Vikings defense, 10 sacks for the Minnesota Vikings defensive front. Uh, so, I mean, Matt Stafford, despite uh, only throwing for 199 yards and no touchdowns, I mean, that's a decent game when you're getting sacked for a franchise record 10 times. Uh, and with no run game, on Johnson only ran for 37 yards and the, the leading rusher in this game. Uh, and Marvin Jones, the leading receiver for Detroit, uh, with only 66 yards. I mean, j what can you do if you're Matt Stafford in this Detroit offense when you're getting sacked 10 times in a football game? Yeah, there's really not much that you can do, especially when you just traded away, debatably, your best offensive player. Yep. Golden yeah. Tate. Uh, and Stafford just looked lost the whole game. 
Um, it was a really ugly performance. I remember one play when he it looked like they were running an option play, but he pitched it back to the running back who wasn't ready for the ball and that ended up yep. being a scoop and score uh, for the Vikings. And that was really just um, a play that summarized that whole game for the Lions offense. Yeah, completely agree with you. Uh, let's move on to what might have been the game of the week other than the uh, the 4 o'clock Saints and Rams game. But the game that I was looking forward to most this week uh, was seeing Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady going up against each other. We know that uh, a lot of what's been going on with those two guys has been a lot of love towards each other. I mean, they both um, took to social media, took to the press conferences, um, talking about how great of a player the other person was. Tom Brady was saying um, that if Aaron Rodgers was in his position – on the New England Patriots, he would have more than five Super Bowls. Aaron Rodgers came back and responded, saying that Brady was obviously the goat. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of positivity um, and respect for these two quarterbacks for each other, and, and rightfully so. But for me, this game showed a lot about the New England Patriots. They start off one and two, and now they have not lost a game since. Uh, and I mean, Tom Brady has just looked phenomenal. But let's talk about Bill Belichick in this offense because. To me, this game proved that the Patriots are the most innovative team in the NFL this year and maybe in NFL history. I mean, Bill Belichick just does such a great job week to week, just moving players out of position uh, and seeing them succeed. It's just something that no other coach does. And quite frankly, that I've never seen before. A guy in Cordell Patterson that was like a, a dysfunctional wide receiver excuse me, for the Patriots all season. And, I mean, this guy could not catch a pass. Dropping passes left and right, he's like the worst wide receiver on the team. And I remember hearing, like, uh, in, so far as fantasy podcasts, like, it's time to drop this guy. He's going to get cut in the next couple weeks. Well, Bill Belichick decides to move him to running back this week with Sony Michelle out with a leg injury. Uh, and the guy was the leading rusher for the Patriots team, scored a touchdown, had over 100 yards on the day. Uh, and James White had a great game as well on the ground for the New England Patriots. So, I mean, all highest praise to Bill Belichick and what he has done with this organization. Yeah, really. Um, they figured out a way this year to use <clears throat> all the weapons that they have um, and they've looked like a terrifying offense to try and yeah. stop. I mean, seeing them play against this Packers defense, who's not that great, maybe not be the best example. Uh, but still, I mean, Josh Gordon, a guy who they just recently traded for, it looks like they found him a role. He had a big game on Sunday night. James White has been uh, an excellent receiving running back for them this year. Uh, and if you look at James White's numbers – I mean, he's seemingly catching like six or seven passes at least every game uh, and getting in the end zone every game. So they figured out how to use him as well. Yep. And a lot of this is coming without Gronk. And when Gronk is in the game, he his production has been down this year. Um, and he's also dealt with injuries. So we've seen other guys on the Patriots step up and make plays. Yeah, and it really is. It's just unbelievable how – I mean, you said it, the New England Patriots just find ways to put guys in different positions. And, and it's just unbelievable the production that they are able, that Bill Belichick is able to draw out of these players. I mean, it's just absolutely wild to me that a guy like Cordell Patterson, I mean, a big dude, but a wide receiver. I mean, the guy was never a running back before in his career back, I mean, since college, at least in the NFL he has not been a running back. I mean, he's he's had a few carries, but not out of the backfield uh, as the typical running back would. But 11 carries, 61 yards, and a touchdown. The leading rusher for the New England Patriots. And I, I really do think that 
Bill Belichick is is showing this year more than any other year that he's been in the league how innovative he is. And I think the reason for that is that Tom Brady is getting older. I mean, the guy is 41 years old, going on 42, and he still looks like the best quarterback in the league. And you know why that is? Because Bill Belichick finds ways to get guys that don't produce on other teams to produce for the New England Patriots, and he does it year after year. And what it reminds me of and what I was uh, telling my friends about while we were watching the game in our room was that Bill Belichick and the way that he runs this Patriots franchise kind of reminds me of the movie Moneyball uh, and the Oakland Athletics. And not not from the financial standpoint, because we know that the Patriots are one of the richer teams in the league, but just the way that they take guys that are less valuable. I mean, a guy like Cordell Patterson, what purpose, I mean, who is he? What, what purpose would he serve on any other team in the NFL? He might be like the third string wide receiver that gets like one play every drive, maybe, uh, to give a guy a breather. But on the New England Patriots, they can find a way to use him uh, as one of their top players in a game. And that is why this New England team is just so dangerous. And that's why when Tom Brady ages, they continue to stay consistent as one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league. Yeah, he uh, Belichick does a great job of putting all of his guys in a position to succeed. Um, and we see that from every position on the offensive side of the ball, especially at quarterback, uh, just the way that he's able to move guys around into different spots yep. and have them produce. Yep. Um, seeing Cordell Patterson make the switch over to running back kind of reminds me of Ty Montgomery in Green Bay yeah. a few years yep. ago, the switch from receiver to running back. And that worked out for them not for very long. Um, But now we see Belichick do it, and it looks like it's a genius move, especially with their first-round pick, Sony Michelle being out. Uh, But it seems like the Patriots have, like, four or five guys every year that they can use at running back and just throw in there. Yeah, exactly. uh, And they'll make an impact either on the ground or through the air because we know that they like to use those running backs in the passing game as well. Yeah, and and that's become, as I'll reiterate, uh, it's become – such a much bigger part of the offense this year than in years past is that running back position. And I think that that's because Brady's getting older and older. uh, And the the less that he is able to produce, not saying that he's not producing because, I mean, the guy had a heck of a game and he's having a heck of a season. But I I really am a true believer that these running backs are integrated more and more into the system the older that Tom Brady gets. And that just takes pressure off him and makes him look so much better. Um, And I'll touch on Josh Gordon as well. Just the way that Tom or Tom Brady, the way that Bill Belichick gets his guys to buy into this program in, in New England, and it's one of—I mean—they win year after year, so it might not seem obvious, but this is one of the hardest franchises to play for, quite frankly. Like the toll that Bill Belichick takes on you mentally as a head coach, and we—we've heard Tom Brady kind of say this um, subliminally in, in interviews. Um, saying that, you know, it it does take a toll playing for this guy in Bill Belichick. And, you know, it gets to the point where it's not fun. It's just putting in hard work day after day. And you can't really laugh. You can't have fun because the guy's so serious. But I I just love that he is able to get his players to buy into the Patriots strategy. And I think that Josh Gordon really just symbolizes that because this is a guy that's had a ton of off-the-field issues. I mean, the Browns couldn't get him straight. Um, with the drugs and alcohol, showing up intoxicated to games, playing in games on drugs. I mean, this is like the guy that's like the epitome the epitome of a, a Johnny Manziel-type player where it's like you expect him to be in the league uh, for a long time and have a great career, but he, he just kind of looks like he's going to throw it all away and ruin it with the drugs and alcohol as is, is we see so many times. 
Um, but he was like the worst of the worst, Josh Gordon. But he comes into this New England Patriots organization, and the way that Bill Belichick just gets his players to buy into the program, I mean, this guy's been showing up to practice. He's been producing. Um, and he, he's just buying into his role in the organization, and that's what makes this New Orleans or New England Patriots team so good and so productive consistently um, year after year. Yeah, and, and Josh Gordon might be the complete opposite or the polar opposite of um, what the Patriots want in a football player. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. They, yeah, he, like you said, has not been able to stay away from drugs so far in his career, but it looks like going to the Patriots has helped him out at least for the first few weeks that he's been there, and we'll see if that holds up. Uh, but if it does, I think that he's got a chance to put together a nice career uh, especially if he stays with New England and with Tom Brady. Um, Belichick clearly likes him if he was willing to go out and make a trade for him. He knows that this guy has talent. He knows that he can use him and make this offense a lot better um, now that he's got him playing alongside Julian Edelman. Um, they've got they've gone from having one of the worst wide receiving cores in the NFL in the first few weeks of the season to, in my opinion, one of the best with Edelman and Gordon. Yeah, completely agree. And like like you said, um, jo- I mean, the Patriots are known or, or not known, I should say, for getting going out and getting guys like Josh Gordon who have had off the field situations uh, and implications um, in their resume uh, and, and kind of giving them a bad reputation. I mean, when's the last time you've seen an off the field incident occur with a Patriots player that's become super public and, and super damaging to the franchise? Like it just doesn't happen under Bill Belichick. And for him to have the trust in a guy like Josh Gordon and, and just to get him to buy into the strategy, I think is just amazing. And it, and it shows his ability to get these guys just to buy into that winning strategy. And when they all do it, um, as James White said with Scott Van Pelt uh, in the postgame interview, um, says that he, I mean, he and his teammates just completely buy into the strategy. And that's why they are such a good team. Uh, but let's shift gears and talk about the Packers in this game a little bit. Um, what's been the issue in Green Bay? Green Bay, I would have never thought, would be a three-win team going into Week 10, uh, but it's really just been an, a disappointment and a wasting um, of Aaron Rodgers' year in his prime. Yeah, and um, I think the problem in Green Bay is everything outside of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams on that offense. The defense is, has not played very well at all this year, and they traded away their best one of their best defensive yep. players, yep. which we talked about last week in Ha Ha Clinton Dix. Um, and I know we talked a little bit about how we didn't understand that move, uh, but it, it made the defense worse, that's for sure. Um, and we saw that on Sunday night. They couldn't really stop the New England offense. Uh, but on the offensive side of the ball, they still have issues considering that their, um, their running game isn't very good. Their offensive line is beat up. Um, and they haven't been able to protect Aaron Rodgers very well. He's really carrying this team. Yeah, he is. The fact that they have he three is. wins, is, it's really all resting on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. I mean, from week one, that game where he single-handedly pulled off a comeback against the Bears, yep. uh, it's really been the Aaron Rodgers show so far in Green Bay, and that's not a way that they're going to win. No, no, it's really not. And it's it's a way that they get maybe five wins in a season – um, but, I mean, it's not the way that this Green Bay Packers team would like to see things going. 
And it's not the way that Aaron Rodgers would like to see things going. And you have to wonder uh, in question what's going on in the head of Aaron Rodgers right now. Because, I mean, he's not a guy that's going to go to the media uh, and, and kind of publicize his complaints and issues with this organization. But you have to wonder what's going on in his head. Does he want out of Green Bay? Um, where does he want to end up come a few years or maybe even next year? But uh, they really are just kind of wasting him in his prime, and they're forcing him to do a lot of work that he shouldn't have to do. Yeah, and I think that we touched on this last week as well, but it's really a shame um, to watch uh, Aaron Rodgers' prime be wasted away like this. I mean, he's such a, a generational talent, um, and Green Bay is just not putting the pieces around him to go win Super Bowls like you'd think he'd be able to do. So it's got to be frustrating for Rodgers uh, to not have that team around him like Tom Brady does or, or Drew Brees does even. Um, to have more success, especially on the defensive side of the ball year in and year out. Yeah, exactly right. Let's move on to the other best game of the week. I don't really can't really compare these two games because, I mean, don't let the score fool you of this Packers-Patriots game. Um, it was a tie game going into uh, halfway through the fourth quarter until um, the deep, deep strike to Josh Gordon um, and the deep pass from Julian Edelman to James White that got them two quick touchdowns at the end of the game to make it 31-17. to That was a close game and a really good game for the majority of the contest. Um, but, I, I mean, another great game at 4 o'clock. The Saints beat the Rams, and they show that they can be the best team in the league as well. And to me, the Saints and the Patriots are just uncomparable. They're two phenomenal teams. I can't put one above the other right now. If I had to, I mean, you put a gun to my head and say pick one, I pick the Patriots. It's just because of their reputation, just because of Bill Belichick uh, and Tom Brady. But, I mean, this Saints offense is just unbelievable, Chris. Drew Brees is, to me, an MVP candidate, playing the best season of his career. And, I mean, Michael Thomas is just unbelievable. 211 yards in the game, and he is just having the season of his life. Yeah, and they uh, they really looked unstoppable on offense on Sunday against a pretty good Rams defense, yeah. or at least what yep. we thought was a good defense uh especially after buffing up that line with Dante Fowler they're pretty much entirely healthy aside from a keep to leave um and the Saints just made him look like a college team hanging 45 on him they scored five touchdowns in the first half I believe uh it jumped out to a three score lead the Saints are just a team that has the ability to dominate almost anybody in this league and we saw that for a half against the Rams, although the Rams did come back and tie that game eventually. They're good enough that they can dominate you in every facet of the game. And that's a really scary thing for any team that's going to play the Saints come playoff time. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And now with the addition of Des Bryant, that may make that offense even more unstoppable, which is really hard to imagine. Um, but let's talk Michael Thomas for a minute, Chris. Pulls out the flip phone. Um, after scoring the touchdown uh, that he scored late in that game, paying tri tribute to Joe Horn. Um, if you haven't seen Joe Horn's celebration where he did the same thing for the Saints uh, a while back, um, just paying homage to him. Um, but, Chris, there was a lot of controversy around this move by Michael Thomas, and he obviously went to all that effort putting the, the flip phone underneath of uh, both um, upright posts. He, he hit, a, hit it under the, the padding on those uprights. Um, on both sides of the field, but 
Uh, Chris, how do you feel about this celebration? Cause, I mean, I'm kind of conflicted because I like to see uh, the funny celebrations, the iconic celebrations. It's something you'll remember for a while. But even though the Saints won this game, Michael Thomas's decision to do this, especially at the point of the game that he did, um, could have put the Saints in a, a very bad situation and could have put the Rams in a situation where they're this much closer to coming back and beating the Saints because after that touchdown um, basically gave the, uh, the Chiefs, the Rams, the ball at the 40-yard line um, by moving their kickoff back after the score um, to, just to put a, a great Rams team and a great Rams offense in that situation so much in so much better field position late in a close game. Uh, I, I question the decision from Michael Thomas, but do I think that it's worth all this conversation on, on radio? I mean, they've ju- there's a lot of guys that have just gone off on Michael Thomas saying it was a terrible decision. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. I mean, I, I like the celebration. I thought it was cool that he was paying tribute to an old Saints guy in Joe Horn. Um, but I thought that the timing probably yeah, not great. Uh, was not very yeah. good considering – that was a huge game for both teams, and it was late in the game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, one and, thing, if it was like in the first quarter, yeah, yep, did it, and still maybe not the best idea. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's worth talking about all that much. Um, I know Joe Buck and Troy Aikman yeah. were not very happy <laughs> no, about it. No, uh, they thought that Michael Thomas was an evil man yeah i mean joe joe buck joe it it was like joe buck was personally offended by it like (laughs) i'm starting to question like are they saints fans or i mean i don't know right i mean i then i can understand where they're coming from because it was not a smart decision it it gave the rams a little a little jolt and although it didn't matter in the end there wasn't the smartest decision but i don't think it's worth all the talk yeah um, yeah. if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, and, and we saw another celebration this week in the, the Cowboys game uh, in which the oh, yeah. after the interception running to the star uh, like Terrell Owens did. And, not I mean, if you haven't seen that, go watch the video of it. But Byron Jones was not happy with the celebration. Uh, I forget the defensive back's name that, that did it. Um, but uh, it wasn't wasn't the same as, as the Terrell Owens play where the fight ensued at the 50-yard right. line. It was kind of just a little push and shove. But I thought that was really funny when they showed that on SportsCenter. It, it kind of, to me, just showed the difference between the football we have now and the football we had back then. Like, now you run and stand on the 50-yard line, Byron Jones gives you a little shove, and you all walk away. Um, right. But, but back, in, back when football was football, if you will, I mean, Terrell Owens got decked for standing in the middle of that star, and you, you just wouldn't see that today. So I, I thought that was really funny, the comparison uh, between those two plays. And I think if you showed that – uh, to Terrell Owens and, and the players back in that day, they would kind of laugh at, at what happened in that situation. Yeah, and um, I think that these guys, these older guys that are seeing um, a new generation of players recreate their celebrations, that's got to be pretty cool uh, for them to see guys pay homage to yeah. them. Yep. Um, for Joe Horn and Terrell Owens, I mean it. The uh, whatever the defensive back's name was, I apologize for not remembering. But, I mean, it was a kind of an obnoxious celebration. I thought it was great um, just because I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yep. um, but, I mean, it is kind of an obnoxious to go yeah. and stand in that star uh, like T.O. did. I enjoyed it very much. Um, and did he to... get flagged for that? Because I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, they, they got flagged for it. But okay. um, did, did you, did you uh, think that this celebration was inspired by the, the tribute to Joe Horn? Because, it, I mean – 
I mean, I'm guessing that they saw that that tribute to Joe Horn, and that could have inspired the that celebration. Um, but I mean, you do have to think like as a defensive back, you're not planning celebrations because it's not right. that probable that you're going to get an interception, or not that probable that you're going to score a touchdown. Um, but it it kind of seemed after that tribute to Joe Horn that this may have been a little bit premeditated. Do you think? Well, I I mean, I don't know. It's impossible to yeah. speculate. Yeah. I, I would find it kind of surprising to think about the Titans defensive backs in their little meeting before the game. <laughs> All right, now, if any yeah. of us get an interception, we're going to run and we're going to stand in the star. Uh, but, I mean, maybe it could have been just a heat-of-the-moment thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, how his teammates would have felt about that, considering he got flagged for it. And same thing with Michael Thomas. I wonder if his – I mean, his teammates had to know that the cell phone was in there. Yeah. And yep. then he was planning on yep. it. Like, unless he snuck in at night. <laughs> um, and the team was all locked up and brought in a flashlight and hid the phone under there. They had to have known that he was planning on doing that. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if anybody told him uh, at that point in the game, like Michael, you can't do that because we're going to get flagged. So I'm just, I'm just interested. I'd be interested to see what his teammates uh, thought about that. <laughs> and I'm laughing just thinking about. Uh, that image of Michael Thomas kind of sneaking into the stadium. I, I, w- I would have loved to see. I would love to see footage of of how he did that, uh, and and who was with him when he did that. Because obviously, um, Sean Payton, the head coach, had no idea, and he even said that in the press con or in the yeah the press conference after the game. He had no idea that this was going to go down, and and you could kind of tell with him uh, and his encounter with Michael Thomas on the sideline after that play. Uh, he kind of seemed a little bit upset about it, but. I think that Sean Payton handled it well. I mean, they won the game. He didn't want to make a big situation, a big stink out of it. But a huge win for the Saints team. And I want to ask you this, Chris, shifting gears now. What does this tell you about the Rams organization? I mean, they showed some fight in this game, but the fact that the Saints just put the beating on them uh, from the offensive side of things that they did, like you said, making their defense look like a college defense, putting up 45 points, uh, what do you? What did you see from this Rams team, and does it change your expectations on the Rams um, in so far as your expectations of them being able to win a Super Bowl this year? Um, not not necessarily. Uh, it does show that they're vulnerable, though, on the defensive side of the ball. And I thought that the defense was going to be a real strength of this team, um, but the offense has been much better than that defense has been. I mean, you think with all the star players on that. Uh, on that team that they would they'd put up a little bit more of a, yeah. a fight against yep. the Saints. I know that the Saints are a great offensive football team, um, but with Aaron Donald and Marcus Peters, uh, LaMarcus Joyner, you'd think that they'd allow a little bit less than 45 points in a big game like that. I mean, that, that was surprising to me. Uh, but I did going into the game, I did think that the Saints would beat them um, and that's partly due to the fact that they were at home and it's really hard to win in New Orleans. Yeah, and this Rams team is a young team. And, and something that I yeah. wanted to mention last week on the show, I, I know I said at the beginning of the show that I was going to talk a little bit about uh, agreeing with Stephen A. on something, which is something that rarely occurs. Uh, but I, I did agree with Stephen A.'s comments about the Rams. He said that the Rams, yes, they're one of the better teams in the NFL, but do I think that they are the Super Bowl favorite as the only undefeated team left in the league? No, he, he didn't. And quite frankly, I'm right there with him. I think this is a really young football team that has a ways to go before they're going to win a Super Bowl. And I think that a team like the Saints with, with playoff experience and Super Bowl experience and a guy like Drew Brees, 
um, and, and playoff experience, even from their young guys like Alvin Kamara, uh, I think that it kind of exposed uh, the youth of this football team, um, especially playing in an away game at the Saints Stadium uh, that can get to a young player and get in a young player's head. So I, I think overall the youth of this football team is going to go against them, but I think in a few years uh, this Rams team, if they can keep uh, the players and the talent that they have, is going to be uh, definitely a Super Bowl threat. And that's not saying that they're not a Super Bowl threat this year, but uh, as a Super Bowl favorite, I, I'm not quite sure that I'm there yet with the Rams. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I'd consider them a Super Bowl favorite necessarily, but they're certainly a contender. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly. I think that they're probably up there in the top five. And if I were to list out my, my Super Bowl contenders for this year, that yeah, one yeah. loss doesn't yeah. really do that much, yeah. um, considering they faced one of the best teams in the NFL on the road. Uh, but the problem that I have with the Rams is I remember saying this at the beginning of the season. I felt like they went all in a year or two early. They made all those moves to go out and get Marcus Peters, um, signed Todd Gurley to a massive contract, went out, got a keep to leave. Um, and Brandon Cooks, when this team is coming off a, uh, a pretty good year last year, um, but maybe they could, they probably could have used another year to develop that young core. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, Jared Goff, who's had an excellent year this year. Uh, but I still think that they could have used an extra year to develop before they kind of went all in with free agency and trades. Yeah. And I think you might see that in the playoffs this year when they face New Orleans or if they get to the Super Bowl and face maybe the Patriots. Yeah, 100, 100% agree with you. Um, and I think they are in that top tier of the NFL, and by no means by what I said did I did I mean to say that they weren't a Super Bowl contender. But I think that they are still on a level below, if you will, uh, the New Orleans Saints teams with experienced players like the Patriots um, and guys that have played in a lot of Super Bowls. Um, and maybe even teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers. While I don't think that they're a better team than the Steelers, uh, we saw last year when they went up uh, uh, in the f playoffs against the Falcons, I believe it was, um, that, yeah. I mean, they, they put together a phenomenal year, uh, and they were the favorites over the Falcons, but they just they looked like a young, inexperienced team, and that's what they were, and I think they are still that this year. They're much better than they were last year, to say the least. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a few more years, and I do agree with you that I think they're still a little young to be going all in for a Super Bowl. Yeah, I remember having the conversation last year um, about that Rams-Falcons game, about whether the Rams' inexperience would hurt them. Um, and we talked a while or for a long time about that, and it ended up did or it did end up hurting them in that game. They didn't look yeah. very good. So hopefully for them this year in the playoffs, now that they've got that taste, um, they're pro they're most likely going to get a home game in the postseason. Um, considering the next best team in yeah. the NFC yep. is behind the Saints in the in their division in the Carolina Panthers. So the Rams are going to get that um, that up next opportunity to prove that they're a change football team, and now that they have the experience that they can go out and win games in the playoffs. Um, and I think that they won't have as much of a problem doing that, but maybe once they face teams like teams led by Drew Brees and Tom Brady, uh, that they will struggle. 
Yeah, completely agree. Let's shift gears from the Rams to the Pittsburgh Steelers, another team that have has been on the, the top of the headlines on ESPN for many reasons, good and bad. Uh, but this week, most of it was good, as Le'Veon Bell's expected to return, as we talked about earlier in the show. And the Steelers, in a game that I was at in Baltimore, slid past the Ravens in a huge, and I mean huge, I cannot say that enough, how big of a divisional win that was for the Pittsburgh Steelers. To get swept by the Ravens, uh, I think would have said a lot about this Pittsburgh Steelers team. But to me, uh, my main takeaway from this game is just disappointment if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan because, you're, I mean, your defense has been producing. Uh, and then to give up a decent chunk of points and yards to the Pittsburgh Steelers um, and also just for your offense to look terrible. I mean, Joe Flacco looked really, really bad in that game. And, and from first person and being there, the guy just he just did not look good, and they had no they have no down the field threats. They have no deep ball threats. They I mean he really didn't throw a deep ball all game, and the rushing attack just wasn't there in Collins as well. So uh, a lot of offensive woes and a lot of offensive concerns. If you're the Baltimore Ravens or Ravens fans or a Ravens fan right now, and I, I think that it's time for Harbaugh to start being on the hot seat uh, in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I think you might be on the hot seat a little bit, but. Um, I think that the Ravens' struggles are more um, should be placed more on the front office for uh, the lack of offensive production. They signed Joe Flacco to that huge contract a few years ago, and I never thought that he deserved all the money that he's getting paid, um, and especially considering the fact that he doesn't have that many weapons on offense. Uh, it's It's kind of a similar situation to the Dallas Cowboys in which the defense has been producing – and they've been a, um, a pleasant surprise this year. They've been one of the better defenses in football uh, the Ravens have, but the offense is just not picking up or uh, is not doing anything on their side of the ball, and they don't have any run game. Yeah, And I think that's something that's hurt Flacco a lot this year, even though he has a few more receivers than he did last year. The inability to run the football has really been a big issue for this team. Yeah, like you said, only 35 yards on nine carries for Alex Collins. Just not a good game there. Um, and one of the most surprising things to me is that they only ran the ball nine times. And right. like, it, it's not like they were down a lot earlier, early in this game where they had to throw the ball a ton to catch up. Um, but, I mean, it, it just shows the lack of trust in that ground game uh, is, is quite evident for Harbaugh. Um, but like you said, just no down-the-field threats. And, I mean, you look at Willie Sneed, only had 58 yards as the leading receiver uh, and seven receptions. Um, and the, the next leading uh, reception in this – or the next leading receiver in this game was Mark Andrews, who only caught the ball three times. So uh, just a, a really poor game, not only on the ground but in the air as well. Uh, Joe Flacco just did not look good. Um, but uh, on the other side of things for the Pittsburgh Steelers, a scare came late in the third quarter – uh, when Ben Roethlisberger went down, not sure if you saw that play, Chris, but um, I'm I'm assuming that that Ben just got the air knocked out of him, and that's why he was down for a few minutes. But when I saw Big Ben go down, I was like, oh man, this Steelers team is in deep trouble. Because I mean, we've known uh, the rib issues that Ben Roethlisberger has had. He's broken a collarbone before, and when he went down gripping his side, I thought that, quite frankly, this Steelers team might be done for the year with Ben Roethlisberger out. Um, but I mean, he was down. He was down for a good while, which is part of the reason why I thought it was so serious. Um, but then Joshua Dobbs came in for the Steelers um, and threw a 22-yard pass on a third and long to keep a drive alive in the third quarter. 
before Ben Roethlisberger came back in the next play. But uh, I, I just wanted to touch on that uh, that throw by Josh Dobbs. I mean, a guy you got you come into a game, a huge game, a huge rivalry game. Uh, you're completely cold. You only had a few, like less than a few minutes to warm up, and to come in uh, and put that ball right on the money, 22 yards downfield, and keep that drive alive. Quite frankly, may have won this game for the Pittsburgh Steelers in such a close game. Yeah, and um, that's just really impressive to see Josh Jobs come in and make that kind of impact. Um, it's just a really good situation, or a, not a good situation for the Steelers considering their quarterback was down, but the fact that they have a guy that can come in if Roethlisberger does get hurt and is out for an extended period of time, a guy that can come in and hold down the fort and Josh Dobbs. Um, and we've seen Ben go down a few times um, over the past few years, and the Steelers really struggle without yeah, him at quarterback. Yep. But he is a tough guy. When he does go down, he he does get up a lot of the time. Um, and we saw that on Sunday. He he is going to be healthy for this week and going forward, unless he gets um, into some more injury trouble, obviously. But Big Ben has really been a tough guy throughout all of his career. Uh, and he, he's just such a big dude that when he does go down, it is kind of scary because he's so difficult yeah, to bring yeah, down. Yep. And it seems like maybe he did get hurt if yeah. he can't get up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's why they call him Big Ben. But uh, right. he did get back up, finish that game for the Steelers. And uh, just one last point on this game, one final thing to touch on is the last drive from Joe Flacco in Baltimore really just summed up the game. And if you were watching – uh, probably as a football fan, and, and if you're someone that knows football, uh, this is the thing that frustrates me most. 50 seconds left on the clock, about 58 seconds, I believe. Three timeouts for the Ravens. They're down one score, um, and they're at their own 20-yard line. First play, they throw like a little five-yard slant. It was incomplete, and I'm thinking like, Ugh, is this really going to happen again? Because I, I cannot stand when you're, you're, you're 60, 70 yards from a touchdown um, and you're throwing five-yard passes with three timeouts. It just drives me nuts. Like, what is five yards going to do for you when you need to get 80 yards down the field and score a touchdown with 50 seconds left? I, it just drives me nuts. And it's almost better. It, it is actually 100% better when the ball falls incomplete. And, you know, like all the fans, all the Baltimore fans are sighing around me. They're like, oh, catch the ball. I'm like, do you know anything? You, like, you should be glad he didn't catch that ball. Um, and have to waste a timeout on five yards. It, it just makes no sense to me. And then the next play, um, um, Joe Flacco takes a, a big sack, uh, and then they only have one timeout left. They have to waste that timeout on a sack where Joe Flacco holds the ball way too long. Uh, and that's another thing that I was, was saying to my girlfriend who was with me sitting right next to me. She probably had no idea what I was talking about and saying to myself and why I was so frustrated. Uh, and she does always say that to me. She's like, why are you so frustrated? You're not even, you're not even a Ravens fan. And it's like, yeah, I'm a football fan, and, and I can't stand to see this poor clock management. It just drives me nuts. Um, but holding the ball way too long, five or six seconds, and when you're in those situations, it's like you got to have that count in your head where it's three seconds and out because the sack basically ends the game, uh, and then that sack did – end the game but uh just a terrible last drive for the Baltimore Ravens and that just summed up uh the entire game offensively where they just could not get anything going uh their play call wasn't great and Joe Flacco wasn't great 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch this game because I was at a game of my own uh, over at FedEx Field watching the Redskins yep. get rolled uh, by Atlanta. But uh, I did see some of that final drive, and my takeaway from it is the Ravens better hope that Lamar Jackson is the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they're it's getting a, yeah, back to the Super Bowl with Joe Flacco point. at quarterback. Yeah, and, and that's something else that I, I was going to say a minute ago and that slipped my mind is that Walking around Baltimore and seeing the those those uh, banners that say Super Bowl champions from a few years back, that just kind of hit me like, holy cow, this team won the Super Bowl not that long ago in, in what was it, 20, 2013 12. maybe, 2012? Yeah. Uh, but it's like that Joe Flacco won a freaking Super Bowl? Like it, it's just crazy because the guy just looked so terrible. Um, and just to think that that Ravens team won, won a Super Bowl – uh, no more than five or six years ago. It's it's just a weird thing to think about. Uh, and like you said, I don't think that Joe Flacco is going to get them back to another Super Bowl, let alone win them another Super Bowl. Yeah, and maybe if they if they're able to get into the playoffs uh, and dig out of this hole that they're in now at four and five, I believe. Yep. Uh, Flacco Flacco has been known to to turn it on once he gets into the playoffs. He's Watching him in the playoffs compared to watching him during the regular season, there's just a massive difference, and it doesn't really make sense. But he's a completely different quarterback once he gets into the postseason. Um, and during that that 2012 or 13 team that won yeah. the Super Bowl, yep. he was awesome during the yeah. playoffs. I think that's what earned him that yeah, huge yeah. contract. Exactly. He just hasn't lived up to um, because he hasn't been good enough in the regular exactly. season to make it back. Yep. Yeah, completely agree with you. Uh, let's just touch on a few scores from around the league in Week 9 that we won't go into too much detail on. Um, this one was real surprising. Nick Mullins, and we'll give him some credit and praise on the show. Uh, that was the Thursday night game, which was one week ago today. The 49ers just absolutely spanked uh, <laughs> the miserable Oakland Raiders, who are 1-7. They did not score uh, for three out of the four quarters of the game, the last three quarters of the game, and only a field goal in the first quarter. They have just looked awful. Uh, and a terrible 49ers team only had one win as well before that game uh, with their third-string quarterback, not even verified on Instagram, comes in and just absolutely rolls this Raiders defense, throws for 262 yards and three touchdowns uh, in one of the most productive NFL debuts that I can remember. Yeah, and the the Raiders are just a depressing football uh, team <laughs> all around. Yeah. I mean, you watch this team play, it's they're hard to watch because of the expectations yep. that they had. Uh doesn't do them any favors considering how bad of a football team they really are. Uh but props to Nick Mullins and the 49ers for getting a win on Thursday night. Uh I mean, he was kind of lucky that he got to play that Raiders defense in his first game, but still an undrafted, an undrafted rookie making his uh, debut on a Thursday night game uh, and just playing a great game. Good for him. Yeah. And get this four Oakland fumbles in that game, four wow. of them, two from Derek Carr, one from Harrison, one from AJ McCarron. Um, so just nothing going right in Oakland. The offense yeah. cannot get anything going and neither can the defense. And when the San Francisco 49ers are putting up 34 points on you with a third-string quarterback, that is, I mean, that's an issue for any team. Yeah, it certainly is. And Raiders fans, you've got nine more years left of Gruden. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> nine and, more and years. I hope 
that this is intentional by John Gruden. Like, I hope that he came in here with the intent of, of cleaning shop, getting rid of all these guys he doesn't want, uh, and kind of uh, just basically going all in for the future. Um, and basically, if, if he's doing that, what he's doing basically is tanking this year. What he's doing is saying, exactly. you know, we're not going to win the Super Bowl, and if we're not going to win the Super Bowl, I don't give a crap how many games we win. I want to win the Super Bowl uh, in four or five years. So I hope for the Oakland Raiders uh, organization's sake that this was his plan because if this is not his plan, uh, I mean, then he knows as well as any of us do, he is in deep trouble, and the Oakland Raiders are in deep trouble for the next nine years. Yeah, certainly. I mean, this is a team that might end up getting the number one draft pick if they continue to yeah. play this poorly. Yeah, and three uh, picks in the first round. Right, which might be what Gruden wants. Yeah, he might want that <laughs> and that's exactly what I'm saying. I hope that that is what he tried to do. I, I hope right. that that I hope that that kind of just didn't fall into his lap because he's being a terrible <laughs> coach. That a, yeah, a coach with um, his pedigree that's so overhyped <laughs> would come in and be and have yeah. a football team yeah. this awful. It's it's crazy, and like I say, I hope he's doing it on purpose. Uh, because I mean, and there's two there's two possible situations here. Either in nine years we say this guy's a freaking genius, or in nine years we say thank God this is over, or or Oakland Raiders fans say thank God this is over. Uh, get back to the broadcasting booth. Um, so uh, <laughs> I like I, I said, for Oakland fans, I don't, don't want to back <laughs> broadcasting booth. I'm I'm good with Jason Witten. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jason Witten's doing a pretty good job in the booth as well, um, as well as uh, Tony Romo. So f- former Cowboys have been doing well um, after they retire, even better than they've done on the field. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what's to come in the next nine years of Gruden. Either he'll look like a genius in nine years or he'll look like one of the worst coaches in NFL history in nine years, if he even makes it that long in the league. Uh, yeah. But the Bears just absolutely took it to the Bills this week, beat them 41-9. to um, and I, I was a little surprised by this. Um, one thing I wasn't surprised by in this game was the fact that Nathan Peterman threw three picks again. And it's like, can this guy go a game without throwing an interception? Uh, and it, it just seems impossible. Um, but I, I, I was quite frankly taken aback by this Bears performance. They, they've looked like kind of the mediocre team in the NFL this year. Uh, but to put up 41, I think, is a statement for this Bears team saying, you know what, we're going to go in and spank teams that we should spank because that's what we have to do to get to the playoffs. Yeah, it was just an all-around dominant performance from um, or against a team that they should beat, and they should beat by a lot, uh, considering how much talent is on this Bears roster. And even without Khalil Mack, who, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that he played this Sunday, and they still only gave up nine points, and they scored yeah. two touchdowns on defense. Um, but, I mean, the Bills are just – how do you not have another guy? <laughs> it's, how, how, it's just – You, just, you like took every, the words out of my mouth. Like it's, it's Nathan Peterman. There he is again. How like, in the at, world? At some point, you just have to cut him and find somebody yeah, else. The like, 49ers just won a game by 30 points yeah. with an undrafted quarterback. Yeah. And the Bills are still trotting out Nathan Peterman. It, it, it makes make yeah, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense that this guy is still in the NFL. Like it makes no sense. Uh, there there are college quarterbacks that I would rather have starting for me and and even if they don't play as well uh, as Nathan Peterman, like even if they come out in this game, like say say you take some random dude off the street 
that played college football last year, and you have him try out, and he throws four picks instead of three. At least then you're trying and experimenting with other options because this one clearly is not working, and it's almost like week after week they're just blind to his stats, and it's just like, oh, well, we'll try again. Maybe he'll be better this week. But uh, I'll leave you with this. His QBR in this game was 8.7 for Nathan Peterman. So things just looking worse and worse in Buffalo, and it is hard to even believe and fathom that they were in the playoffs last year. Yeah, I I forgot about them making the playoffs last year that just yeah. defies logic Stunning. Stunning. Uh, but i will i will give credit to peterman he had a better quarterback rating this week than he did in week one <laughs> week one his quarterback rating was zero and and that's so, that's a little bit of improvement you say you phrase that as a compliment i really don't think that it, it, it's a compliment <laughs> it's actually like the lowest criticism you could give of anybody well at, at least your qbr was eight in this game that's an improvement <laughs> Yeah, it seems it oh, seems like man. a joke. Yeah, it like, is. It, it really at does. Least your, at least your QBR wasn't zero. Yeah. Well, it was zero at one point this season. <laughs> oh man, terrible, terrible performance again in Buffalo as the Bears get the win. The Chiefs get the win over the Browns as Chris Patrick Mahomes does what Mahomes has been known to do: throws for three hundred seventy-five yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, and the Chiefs the Chiefs did not let the Browns compete in this game, and they shouldn't have. I mean, the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the NFL, and the Browns are the Browns. So um, nothing about this game really surprised me all that much. The Chiefs did what they should at the Cleveland Browns. Yep, the Dolphins beat the Jets, who uh, have kind of been going down the pooper as well as the Buffalo Bills, and it, it's kind of surprising to me that the Jets are just doing so terribly, uh, especially when the worst performance in this game came from a guy that, uh, after week one, we thought might be one of the better quarterbacks in the league in a few years in Sam Darnold. Uh, but he threw four interceptions in this game. Uh, and, I mean, you're not going to win a game where you do that. And to lose a game where you throw 14 picks uh, against a team that only scores 13 points, that's a game that you should win. Um, but throwing four interceptions, as I said, you, most of the time you're not going to win that game. Yeah, and this was – um, we introduced week nine and said week nine was a really good week of football. This game was the complete opposite. I mean, they had terrible field conditions after uh, the huge storm the night before and the Miami football game, uh, which can I just question why they would schedule an NFL game <laughs> less than 24 yeah. hours after a night game of college football? Yeah, doesn't. I, don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> but anyway, the field conditions were not good at all, um, and it didn't help that we had Brock Osweiler on one side and then the turnover prince Sam Darnold on the other side. Yeah. Uh, so this was just a really ugly football team. I don't think either team deserved to win, uh, but Miami is somehow over 500 still. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's a pretty big surprise in my opinion. Yeah, especially without Ryan Tannehill for – um, the past couple of weeks and really what's getting to be the majority of the season. Um, but let's move on. The Vikings, as we said, beat the Lions 24 to nine. Nothing new on that. Uh, the Falcons 38 to 14 flex their offensive muscles and blow out the Redskins. Um, and Julio Jones, notably in this game, ended his 12 game drought uh, of scoring touchdowns, and Matt Ryan threw for 350 yards on my fantasy bench, and I was pissed. Yeah, well, at least it, he wasn't playing against your team <laughs> this week. Yeah. I, that, was, that was a hard game to watch. 
um, from a Redskins fan's perspective. Atlanta, it, they just had no resistance on the defensive side of the ball. You wish you had your money back. Oh, I definitely <laughs> wish I had my money back. I did get some donuts on the way home, which kind of made the way better or the day better. Uh, but the Redskins, a team whose the defense has been the strength, just looked terrible against Atlanta. Yeah, and Atlanta really shined in this game. And uh, you kind of have to wonder if the Falcons could start to turn the season around. At 4-4, four and four, the beginning of the season, their defensive struggles were really eminent. Um, but now um, they, they've improved a little bit. And I think that if they have uh, the rest of the season play out like this Sunday played out for them, I think that they could have a slight chance at, at going back to the playoffs. But we will keep an eye on both of those teams. And quite frankly, a huge loss for the Redskins to keep the Eagles within one uh, and the Cowboys within two in that close division as well. Yeah, going up two games on the Eagles would have been huge for them, and they had yeah. the opportunity to do that with yep. the Eagles on bye week, uh, but failed to do so. Uh, they still they're still sitting in first place though, and they still got a game up on Philadelphia, so they're still in a pretty good chance or a pretty good position to make a run at that division. I mean, it's their division to lose right now, so. If they can bounce back, they still could have a chance. I got this question for you, Chris. I know uh, as, as a Redskins fan, you we have the same hatred for the Eagles, uh, but you have a hatred for the Dallas Cowboys, obviously. That's Who are you rooting for in that game uh, on Sunday night, the Eagles or the Cowboys? Because if the Eagles win, uh, they're one game closer to you, but the Cowboys are, are a game behind the Eagles. So uh, I know as much as you hate the Cowboys, do you root for them to win? I... <sighs> I can't. I can't do it. Well, You're just rooting I'll, for a tie. I, I Yeah, that would be the perfect scenario. Um, having the Cowboys win would benefit the Redskins, uh, especially considering I think that they're less of a threat to win the division. But I'm not going to tell you that I'm rooting for the Cowboys. <laughs> I, I just can't do it. I can't make myself say it. And, and I'll quote our grandfather on this, Chris. Uh, as, as a family of Pitt fans – um, we've said year in and year out and our pure, our hatred for Penn state is just as pure as hate can be. Um, it, it's, it's almost to the point where you would rather see the, the Penn state Nittany lions lose every game of the season than you would the, your team, the Pittsburgh Panthers win every game of the season. Like it, it's almost more gratifying and, and more joyful to see them lose than it is to see your team win. Yeah, and I my dad has said before that he would rather have Pitt go one and eleven and have that one win be yeah, against Penn yep, State than yep. go eleven and one and have the loss be to Penn yeah. State. I, I can't uh, I can't tell you how many times that's been said in our family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I feel that way about the Cowboys, um, but I I do I really hate them. I do not like them, and I I apologize for it. Uh, but I remember one year where the Redskins came in with like a two and eight record into Dallas, one of the years where they won the division uh, with Colt McCoy starting at quarterback on a Monday night and they yep. won. And I remember feeling like, you know, their season was saved just yeah. because they yep. won that one game at Dallas on Monday night. That's, it, that's exactly for them. They it, had no chance at the yeah. playoffs. Exactly how I felt about Pitt this year. It's like if we win one game and we just beat the crap out of Penn State, like I, I will be perfectly fine with that. I would, I would almost rather uh, win that one game against Penn State than win every game but lose against Penn State because it's not like if Pitt went undefeated, they would be in the national champion, or if Pitt was a one-loss team, they wouldn't be in the national championship. So like, what's the point? Let's just, let's just beat the team that we hate most because it's not like we're gonna win the national championship anyway. 
um, let alone the ACC with teams like Clemson in there. Um, but unfortunately, we weren't able to pe- beat Penn State. Um, and now, as we know, Penn State's too scared to play us as they took us off their schedule <laughs> for the next 11 years. So we'll have to deal with 11 years of, of Penn State fans being Penn State fans. But um, uh, Pitt did get a big win against Virginia this past week. But let's keep rolling through Week 9 scores in the NFL. The Panthers uh, bested the Buccaneers 42-28. to Christian McCaffrey had a great game, and Cam Newton played well. Um, also, but I mean, man, McCaffrey has been helping out Cam Newton in all kinds of ways this year, scored two touchdowns in that game. Yeah. Cam Newton's been playing some of the best football of his career this year. And, uh, McCaffrey has been helping a lot. It's taken a lot of the load off of his shoulders. He's been carrying that Panthers offense last few years. Uh, but now that he's got, he's got some more weapons on offense and McCaffrey, uh, they just drafted DJ Moore from Maryland and they've got Devin Funches. So, um, Cam, a lot of the burden has been taken off of Cam's shoulders, although he's still uh, doing a lot for that offense. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the Panthers this year. The Panthers will have a chance to showcase their offensive talents again tonight uh, as they yeah. face off against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's a big game. And I know my friend uh, as a Steelers fan is really pumped for that one. Um, I'm sure my brother is as well. But really a huge game for the Steelers because they they haven't really had the chance to play a top team in the league, a playoff team, uh, since that game against the Chiefs where uh, they got 45 points put up on them, 48 points I actually think it was, um, and six touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes. So really a chance for the Steelers to show that they're back where they belong as one of the better teams in the league after a slow offensive start. Yeah, and how about the NFL giving us a good game on Thursday night? Yeah, finally. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot. We had one earlier this year, Vikings-Rams. But other than that, I mean, Raiders, 49ers, (laughs) Texans, Dolphins. At least something. At least that third-string quarterback, Nick Mullins, made that game semi-interesting, even though it was really a terrible game. It it, it it gave us something to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at at least it offered something. But, I mean, even if... Even if both those teams are healthy and have their, or if Garoppolo is playing, it's still not that good of a game. I mean, I guess I can see why they scheduled yeah, it, but yeah. anyway, that's a that's a conversation for another day. The Chargers beat the Seahawks twenty-five to seventeen, and how about those Chargers at six and two? I feel like they're a team that we haven't talked about that much this year, uh, but a team that kind of is starting to deserve that talking about. They were like the sexy pick for the Super Bowl at the beginning of this year, and then. They kind of went away after their their two early losses in the season, but now at six and two, uh, Philip Rivers is looking good. That was his two hundredth consecutive start um, against the Seahawks. What do you have on the Chargers, Chris? Do you think that they are a Super Bowl threat, or do you think that they're kind of still the sexy, overrated team in the league? Uh, I think they're a they're a pretty solid threat to make a run in the AFC. Uh, they've been kind of buried behind the Chiefs. Um, with yeah, Mahomes and, and the so Rams well. as well playing in the same city. Yeah, that's true. I uh, didn't even think about that, but they've got the Chiefs in their division and the Rams in their city. Um, so not a lot of attention towards the Chargers, especially from their own fan base. <laughs> uh, but it, it's almost I mean, like it, an away game every week. Yeah, it's it's really bad. But um, this team has been playing some pretty good football. Philip Rivers has had one of the best seasons of his career. Yeah, quietly, year. quietly. I, 19 scores and only three interceptions so far. Um, he's completed 67% of his passes. I mean, that's a good year. And, I mean, they're quietly at 6-2 and two right now. 
So I think that they could be a sleeper team to make a run at the AFC Championship. Maybe not the Super Bowl, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, agreed. Let's move on to some games that we will look ahead at in Week 10, then do a quick uh, NBA season recap so far, talk about some of the storylines there. We got 20 minutes left uh, in the show. This is Hagen Squared. You are listening to 90.7 The Pulse. Grantham FM radio big game tonight obviously between the Panthers and the Steelers two teams that have been hot as of late who's your pick in this one Chris uh, I'm gonna take the Steelers at home uh, I think they're pl- both te- both these teams are playing really well actually now that I think about it um, but just because the Steelers are the home team I'm gonna take them tonight yeah Pittsburgh is favorited and, and I'm gonna have to agree with you there and take the Pittsburgh Steelers this could be the last uh, time that we see the Pittsburgh Steelers this season without Le'Veon Bell. Um, so we will see what is to come from James Conner. Uh, I mean, another breakout game tonight would just go on his resume as another game saying, you know what, uh, we don't need Le'Veon Bell. And if Le'Veon Bell is going to get time, then I should get time as well. So a big game here for not just the Steelers, but for James Conner to put on his resume as well lions and bears face off at one saints and Bengals face off uh the falcons take on the browns the patriots take on the titans uh the jaguars take on the colts and those are two teams that have been struggling both sitting at three and five uh the cardinals take on the chiefs the bills and the jets the buccaneers and the redskins chargers and raiders dolphins packers seahawks and rams in a divisional matchup and cowboys and eagles so really not that much to talk about Uh, honestly looking forward to week 10 a lot of games that it just kind of seems obvious who's going to win who's going to lose a lot of good teams playing bad teams really the only two pretty decent games are the Seahawks and the Rams at four uh, and the Cowboys and the Eagles which obviously holds huge divisional and playoff ramifications at 820. Yeah that uh, that Seahawks Rams game should be interesting considering the first matchup between these two um, the Seahawks made it a little interesting against the Rams. Yeah. They had a chance to win, or I guess they never got that chance at the end uh, to win that game because the Rams went for it on a fourth and one. Yep. Uh, but the Seahawks played play it. Yeah, they played a great game against uh, what was an undefeated Rams team. So we'll see if they if they come out with that same fire against the Rams and uh, try to get their revenge. Yeah, certainly. So we will shift gears now to the NBA with 20 minutes to go in the show. Uh, If you missed what we've talked about so far, we've covered everything in the NFL. All NFL news, highlights, and storylines have been talked about within the past hour and 40 minutes. If you missed it, check out Hagen Squared on Apple Podcasts. You can find it by just simply searching Hagen Squared or going to our Instagram, Hagen Squared, uh, and you will find the link in the bio. So, Chris, what do we got on the slate for the NBA tonight? Well, the first thing we uh, we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, and uh, I'd like to talk about Derek Rose a little bit. After last night, uh, he went off again. He had seven three-pointers, uh, and he had two pretty clutch shots in the last few minutes there. Uh, the Wolves did lose that game, though, 114 to 110. Uh, it was really an awesome game to watch. I don't know if, if you did watch that game or not. No, I didn't, didn't get the chance to. But... Derek Rose. Derrick Rose scored 30 points, um, and he's looking like the Derrick Rose of the MVP season. Yeah, he really is, and I touched on how I think the lack of minutes from Jimmy Butler uh, is really giving him a chance to to show what he's made of, and he's done a great job of it. The Timberwolves have have really been gracious to him and giving him a second chance in the league. 
um, after a lot of injuries and a lot of setbacks, but hits a career-high seven three-pointers, and he actually set the record for most three-pointers hit in a game by a Timberwolves player. Um, so coming after just a little bit over a week of Rose's 50-point performance, a uh, huge game from him, but not enough to beat LeBron's Lakers. However, though, LeBron's Lakers are just 5-6 and six on the year, and the Timberwolves are just 4-8. and eight. So these are two teams that uh, were, were maybe – I mean, the Timberwolves were a playoff team last year. The Lakers weren't, but with LeBron, simply are expected to be in the playoffs. What is, what's your takeaway on these two teams, Chris, who have both kind of disappointed so far? Yeah, well, I uh, from a standpoint from the Los Angeles Lakers, I think that – um, they're just kind of getting used to each other as LeBron's coming in there and changing kind of the, the whole way that they play basketball. Um, and we saw it when he first joined Miami and when he first joined Cleveland. Um, so I think that this team is going to get better as the season goes on. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't have any real worries if I were a Lakers fan, I would kind of be expecting uh, some growing pains there, especially with the young team that they have. Uh, but when you look at the Timberwolves, I think they're in a much worse situation considering their best player and Jimmy Butler wants out. Um, and it only seems like a matter of time before they do trade him. Um, and they just haven't gotten a lot of production out of Towns and Wiggins this year, who are supposed to be like their two other core pieces. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is like uh, you put it the exact way that I would have. Like the Lakers, I'm not all that much – like I'm not all that concerned with – their production so far, I think, like you said, when you have a guy like LeBron James that just changes, he just changes not only the way you play, but he changes the whole, like, locker room uh, morale and just, like, focus on the team. Like, all the eyes are on you, I guess is what I'm trying to say, when LeBron right. is, is in your city. Uh, and he just kind of brings that extra publicity, brings that those extra style points, if you will, to your organization. So it, it's something to get used to and something to adjust to. And we see this with all kinds of teams. Like we saw it with uh, Kevin Durant coming to the Warriors. There were a lot of questions about him, a lot of questions about uh, Chris Paul coming to the Rockets. What effect will he have on a guy like James Harden that likes to shoot the ball a lot? Um, but those two those two it's obviously went well for the Warriors it's gone well for the Rockets I think it'll go well for this Lakers team um, if they are able to make the right moves and continue to adjust to each other but the Timberwolves like you said it's just a situation that you don't want to have uh, when you have your main guy obviously your best player who wants out um, and it's created all these locker room issues uh, Derek Rose is is really playing the best basketball on this team right now um, which yeah. is very surprising when you have a guy like uh, like Towns inside and you have a guy like Wiggins who coming into the NBA was expected to be one of the top players in the league. Uh, so just a lot, of, a lot of things to be worried about if you're a Timberwolves fan um, and a lot of things to be worried about if you're a Washington Wizards fan. And I'll use that to, to transition into your team and the Washington Wizards who are sitting at 2-8, and eight, 14th in the, east, in the East and only ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, as a fan, Chris, I'm, I'm sure you know more about their issues than me. What is the main issue there in Washington? I mean, the, there is no main issue because everything is a problem. They're <laughs> like in literally every area of the game of basketball, they've been terrible. They don't rebound and they don't play defense. Um, and their offense has been terrible. So I like, I don't know what there is. Like you can't zero in on one thing to fix because every area of the game has been so terrible. 
I mean, last year, their at least their offense was okay, and that was kind of keeping them in games, even though their defense wasn't great. Um, but the rebounding has taken a hit from last year. The defense has gotten even worse, and now that the offense is struggling, uh, they just look like a terrible basketball team. Yeah, and I don't know if you – Oh, go ahead. It's just weird to me. Like I, I'm, I was just gonna add in that it doesn't seem like they've made this roster move that kind of changed things. Like uh, adding a guy like LeBron James, it just changes the style uh, and and the outlook on your whole organization. But it's not like the Wizards have gone out and made a big change, made a big acquisition that that kind of changes the the style of the locker room, the style of place. And I mean, last year they were a playoff team. They took the Raptors to seven games. Uh, and and almost went on to play the Cavs in the conference finals. So uh, or in, in the the conference semifinals, pardon. So just it, it is hard to dissect what the issue is in Washington. Yeah, it doesn't make sense after um, they've had a few good years with this core of players. Uh, and this year they brought in Dwight Howard to replace Gortat, and they're really not that different of players. Yeah, if you think about it, I mean, they're guys that don't have much of a jump shot and make most of their living from down low by the basket so they haven't really changed much it's like um it's like their success with this core has expired almost and i don't know if you saw the video of Stephen a um going off on the wizards but i i enjoyed watching him rant about the wizards because he does it a lot and it's, <laughs> it's actually pretty funny uh but seeing him do it seeing him ran is like every complaint that i've had as a fan um and somebody in sports media is finally voicing that um, they're just, the organization is just not in a good spot right now with all their, um, all of their key players have these massive contracts that they're not going to be able to get out of mm-hmm. um, with wall walls contract is going to kick in in the next few years. And he's going to be making upwards of 40 million. Yep. They've got Porter making 20 million Beal making 20 Jan Mahimi's making 16 million, which is ridiculous. <laughs> So a team that has this much money spent and is this far over um, the uh, the cap level should not be two and eight, and yeah. it's really discouraging to watch them play. Yeah, I mean, completely agree with you. They need to figure out what the source of their problem is, uh, if there really is any. It's, it is almost like you said that their time uh, for success with this team has just expired, and and it's weird when that happens. Um, and it says a lot to a coach, and it says a lot uh, to an organization how you're able to handle those situations. Um, and, and it's really just, it's really problem diagnosis at that point. Like it's beyond just being a basketball coach uh, and changing things on the court, changing the way that you do things on uh, making different play calls, uh, having different game strategies, watching different film. It, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's like a, it's like a doctor trying to diagnose the problem uh, where you're not really worried about solutions right now. You're more worried about just first figuring out what in the world this problem is so then you can go ahead and solve it. That's really what's on the table for this Wizards organization. Yeah, and I I don't know what it is, but something's got to change. I mean, I I thought that they did a good job of building this team from the ground up. I mean, they have right now when they're starting five, three of those guys have been top three picks uh, in Wall, Beal, and Porter. But it's just not working. So something's yeah. got to change. I mean, maybe they have to fire Scott Brooks, who I don't mind as a coach. He's not my favorite. But, I mean, he's clearly not the right man for the job. And that's a quote from Stephen A., who, who basically said the same thing, that he likes Scott Brooks as a basketball coach, but he's just not the man for this job. And that's pretty clear um, through 10 games in this season. 
Yeah, let's shift gears uh, to another team wearing red in the Eastern Conference. That is the Raptors, who win again and improve to 11-1. and uh, And they beat the Bucks without um, Kawhi Leonard, who has been one of the best players, quite frankly, in the league so far this year. He's put up great numbers for the Raptors. The Raptors have just looked phenomenal. Are they the best team in the Eastern Conference, Chris? They sure look like it right now. I mean, uh, maybe we'll be talking differently about them come April. Uh, but right now, even without Kawhi, they're still looking like an excellent basketball team. Um, so I think I think they're better than the Celtics right now. They're better than the Sixers, and they're better than the Bucks. Uh, we'll see how far they can keep it or they can make this last. But right now, they're certainly the team to beat. Yeah, and, and Chris, this is almost the polar opposite uh, of what I had to say and what you had to say about the Washington Wizards. Uh, this is a team where they really didn't make that many moves from last year. Like they they trade a pr- they have a pretty equal trade that goes on. I do think that Kawhi is a little bit of a better player than Demar Derozan is, but they acquire Kawhi for a one year deal. Um, he's really not to me all that much of a better player uh, than than Derozan is and and was for the Raptors. But he is he seemed to have made this team look astronomically better than they looked last year. Now that they're eleven and one. Um, do you really think that he had everything to do uh, with this 11-1 and start for the Raptors? No, I, I mean, he's got a decent amount to do with it, uh, I guess. But you're right. I mean, this team has stayed a lot the same from last year, a uh, year where they were the one seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, um, it's it really – it's almost like uh, bringing a guy – like sometimes that's what a franchise needs. Sometimes yeah. – Sometimes when you've just had the same guy for a while and you, you've kind of done the same thing for five or six years in a row where you go to the playoffs, you lose to the Cavs, you don't go anywhere, um, sometimes it's just time for a change. And maybe that's the reason. I mean, last year we criticized them for firing Dwayne Casey, who was the coach of the year. Um, we criticized them, and, and they were criticized a lot for firing the, the coach of the year um, as he was awarded by the NBA. But – uh, kind of now, as they're sitting at 11 and one, it kind of looks like a good move. Like sometimes, yeah. as I, as I'm trying to say, is uh, it's good for a change. And even when things look like they're going upwards, you're making the playoffs, uh, you're winning coach, you have a coach that's winning coach of the year. Sometimes it's just time for new faces, and and that's kind of what the Raptors did, and it looks to be working so far. Yeah, and I'm they were criticized by their own fans for trading DeRozan away and yep. bringing by Leonard. Um, I wonder how those f- fans feel yeah, now. Yeah, if they're sitting at eleven Agreed. and one, uh, and especially if they go into the postseason as the one seed again, um, and actually win in the playoffs. Agreed. So it just it just proves like that at the end of the day, we really don't know that much. Yeah, it, <laughs> we can predict all exactly. we want, we can analyze, but exactly. at the end of the day, I mean, it's sports. You never know what's going to happen. Exactly. Uh, and, and like we said last year, we were all over the. I mean, I remember doing. I remember the specific show that we did last year, like a year ago. Um, I guess it wasn't at this exact time because the season was coming to a close. But late in the year last year, we were just ripping on the Raptors. Like, why in the world are you firing the coach of the year? Uh, but now sitting at eleven and one, they're they're sitting in the front offices laughing at people like us that were criticizing them for these moves. Uh, so I, I I mean, to go to the old saying, that's why they're up there and we're down here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the Raptors just have been on an absolute tear, and now they got Kawhi Leonard back. So uh, only only going up uh, if you're the Raptors. They are on the right side of the escalator. But let's talk about other guys who are 
uh, on the right side of the escalator is these NBA rookies so far who have been playing very well. Luka Doncic has been impressing. He's a guy that uh, got booed when he was drafted, and we weren't really sure what to expect from him. Trey Young has been playing well for Atlanta as well, and DeAndre Ayton with 16 points per game and 11 rebounds per game, averaging a double-double. He was, as we all know, the number one pick of the draft. Uh, all the rookies in the rookie class has just looked great so far. Yeah, it really has. I mean, and that's great for the NBA uh, to have a good rookie class. And, yeah, and last and, year's class was pretty impressive as well. And how about the guys coming up from Duke this year? I mean, it, oh, yeah. the next couple, I mean, Zion Williams, he could be the next LeBron James. And I, I know that that's been said before, sure. and it hasn't happened and, and played out that way before. But, uh, like, I kid you not, this dude is built like LeBron James and then some. And he's just – he can dribble. He can shoot. He's just absolutely ridiculous to watch. And if there's a guy that will be the next LeBron James, I, I think that it is – it. When we were saying that, I remember when people were saying that about uh, Wiggins, that Wiggins was going to be the next like guy like LeBron James who just dominates the league when he was uh, in Kansas um, in his college career. But, I mean, Zion Williams, he is just a freak athlete, and that's the same thing that we saw with LeBron uh, when he was that young. And right now, Zion Williams, uh, as, as a freshman at Duke, this is this, he's the same age that LeBron was when he came into the NBA for the Cavs. Um, and if you look back at, at videos of LeBron James in his first year in the league, he was not as big as Zion Williams is. So it, it's just going to be absolutely crazy and, and crazy intriguing to watch Zion uh, as he progresses. And there is a, a lot of good players streamlining, streamlining straight from teams wearing blue in college, teams like Kansas, Duke, uh, UNC, Kentucky. I mean, they are just streamlining, streamlining talent right to the NBA uh, and the rookie class this year is great. I'm sure the rookie class next year and the next year are going to be absolutely fantastic, if not better. Yeah, I mean, Duke looked like a super team the oh, other man. night playing against Kentucky. Who's, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we know Kentucky is no joke in basketball. Yeah, they looked like one. <laughs> yeah. They looked like one against Duke. <laughs> they looked terrible. They scored over 100 points on them. Unbelievable. Um, and the, these freshmen at Duke are just look awesome so far. I mean, it's only been one game. So we yeah, can't overreact yeah, yeah. too much. But still, I mean, playing against a team that is as good as Kentucky has been, um, these freshmen at Duke have just been awesome. Yeah, they have been. And, and yeah, you make a good point. It, it is early. We seem we kind of sound like those stereotypical fans right now. It's like, oh, Zion's the, the next LeBron after one game in the league. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't go as so far as to say that I'm 100% sure that Zion's going to have an NBA career like LeBron James. I mean, that's that's a very difficult thing to do. But I have not seen a dude built like this guy in a long time at his age. And, uh, like, it, I'm, I'm just stating facts at this point. This is not opinion. Zion Williams is has the same skill set that LeBron had at that age, and he is bigger than LeBron James was at that age. And that's that's not opinion. That's just facts. And say what you will. Uh, I mean, I, I think that he's going to be hard-pressed to have a career like LeBron. But if there's a guy to do it and if there's a guy built for it, it's definitely this guy. Yeah, he, he's just an absolute monster physically. Um, and he's on one of the best teams in college basketball right now. Uh, so, I mean, maybe he doesn't, he doesn't translate as well to the NBA as LeBron did, uh, especially considering that he's got so much help at Duke. But yeah. it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, how their season goes, obviously they look fantastic after one night. 
Um, but we'll see what Zion looks like the rest of the year. And I'm sure, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, he's going to declare for the draft after this yeah, year. It, yeah, if he, if he doesn't, he's nuts. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's what the, uh, that's the system that college basketball has kind of adopted now is the one and done. And I bet the, out of these four freshmen at Duke, I bet all four, there's a pretty good chance that all four of them are yeah. not returning next year. Yeah, and you know, it, it kind of contradicts what you would think initially would be a good team in college basketball. You would think that like, the dominant teams have these seniors that, that have been playing together for a while and they're really, really good. Uh, and they've been playing together for a while, passing up the draft. But really, uh, you look at the pattern of all the, the top five, top 10 teams in college basketball, they almost all, all of their best players and core players are either a freshman uh, or B uh, one and done or two and done players in college basketball. Rarely will you see guys on teams like Villanova, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, rarely will you see the best player on their teams be a senior because if they're a senior, then it means they probably weren't ready or probably weren't good enough to go into the draft after their first or second year. Yeah, and there, there's only a few programs that um, that really don't build like that or use yeah. the one done. I mean, Kentucky every year has a new core of yeah. players. Yep. Uh, but, I mean, I can think Wisconsin, I feel like, is a team that really develops their players and always seems to have uh, some good seniors. And, and Villanova even. Yeah, yeah, they had a, they have a few standout we'll have, seniors. In, over yeah, the we'll have some years. guys that stick around a little Gonzaga. longer. Um, yeah, Gonzaga too. I forgot about them. Uh, but yeah, most teams that are making a run at the tournament, like North Carolina and Duke and Kentucky, um, have got these stud freshmen coming yep. in, and then uh, it's like college basketball doesn't even matter to them because they go straight to the yep. NBA. After yeah, the year. it's no like it's like a happens. showcasing of their talent almost. Yeah, it really is, and that's what the NCAA tournament is for them. Yep, is a showcasing of their talent. It doesn't seem like um, it really matters too much to them, and maybe I'm wrong. Yep. Um, maybe I am wrong. Uh, but that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they, ca- I think like they'd like to win the national championship. Yeah, of course. But if they don't, they know they have million dollars of signing bonuses coming exactly. their way in less than a year. So it's like, how much, how much does that trophy really mean to these guys uh, when they know that they? I mean, it's like w- we think of it like, like if you're a hardcore Duke fan, you're thinking. Oh man, we we just lost. It, like Duke got upset like a few years ago when they played Lehigh. Uh, Lehigh was the 15 seed. Duke was the two, and Lehigh knocked them off. Yeah. That was probably five five to yeah. It was great. Uh, <laughs> as a guy that hates Duke almost as much as Penn State in football, it, it was great to see. But as a Duke fan, you go to bed upset and you think, man, these guys they got to be upset. They're probably crying themselves to sleep. It's like. Do you realize that these guys are going to be signing like millions of dollars of contracts in the next year? Like they're not they're not as upset as they seem on the court when they get to the locker room and get home and receive a call from from an NBA team asking if they'd like to sign for for twenty million dollars. Uh, that that doesn't sound like that bad of a night. Yeah, it really doesn't. And I I remember watching a a tournament game last year. I think it was when Duke was playing, and I saw. A, one of their players had fouled out uh, towards the end of the game and he was sitting on the bench with his head down. And my mom was like, Oh, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, those kind of, yeah. He's going to get drafted in the top 10 and he's going to make yeah. millions, millions of dollars, of dollars. Before he even plays in the NBA. Yeah. And, and the so. funny thing is they, they, I mean, we act like they're all not making money now. They're all making money in, in some yeah, shape or form. 
and and a lot of people overlook that. Oh, I feel so bad for them. They're just out there to play. No, they're not. How I like, and this is the <laughs> thing that drives me nuts with Duke fans and Zion. Zion, as we know, received. I mean, it, it got it went to the point where it was public on SportsCenter that Zion was caught receiving and asking for money to play for college teams before he signed with Duke. Um, but then, I mean, I shouldn't say signed with Duke cause he's not signing a contract, but committing to Duke. Um, but I mean, he was asking teams for money and, and he, yeah. that was something that went public. And I, I mean, I was talking to my grandma about this where she was saying, or she was saying, actually, I'm not even sure if it was my grandma, some Duke fan in my family that was saying, you know, coach K he's the greatest. He, he doesn't pay his players. He does this the right way. Do you think that Zion just one day wakes up and, you know what, I had a change of heart today. I don't want to get paid anymore. I'm going to go to Duke where they don't pay players. Like, it just doesn't happen. He, he, went to, he probably went to Duke because they paid him more money than the other teams were offering him. So it's not like Zion had this change of heart last moment where he decides, you know, I, I, I don't need money anymore. I'll go play for Duke. Yeah, and it, it's really an interesting debate um, when you think about whether the NCAA should allow players to be paid. Yeah. And that's um, that's a conversation that we could have another day for, for a long time. And, and you know what I'll say to that is, uh, is I think that debate can kind of be silenced a little bit by I think the NCAA already does kind of like technically it's in the rule book, but I think the NCAA already does kind of allow pay, players to be play, to be paid and I think what they do, and, and I read an article about this that, that my dad sent to me, is what they'll do. It's kind of similar to what baseball will do with steroids. They let steroids right. kind of slide because they know that the more home runs hit, the more people watch. So it's, it's making them money. But every once in a while, just to show that, that they kind of back the we want true athletes that don't use steroids right. policy they'll bust one every once in a while and i think that's the same with the ncaa and, and if it's not then quite frankly the people uh, up top in the the box office for the ncaa organization they're quite frankly just stupid because if they wanted to bust teams for this they could bust a team every single year and we only see it once in a while so quite frankly i think technically they don't allow uh, teams to pay players but in reality, it's kind of that, that gray area. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I'll say to that is I think that the NCAA might benefit more in, yeah, terms, exactly. of, um, in terms of money if they allowed them to yeah. pay their players because you'd have all these, these headlines where this high school kid's making is going to make this much money in his mm-hmm. freshman year. Yep. People would see that and be like, "Wow, yeah, high school kids can make that much. Yep. I should probably watch him play." Yeah, um, yeah, completely, agree. completely agree. Fan. Yeah, interesting so, debate, uh, and I hate to bring it to a close, but it's seven oh seven. We've run seven minutes over. Uh, but thanks for joining me again on this uh, Hagen Squared podcast, Chris. If you missed it, like I said, check it out on. Uh, Apple Podcasts and on our Instagram, Hagen underscore squared and Hagen squared on Apple Podcasts. But thanks again for listening and thanks for joining Chris. Make sure to tune in to that Thursday night football game tonight between the Carolina Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Chris, uh, thanks for joining us again. Yep. Have a good night. Always great to be on the show.